0: Hello and welcome to the Michael Clark Show podcast, where every Wednesday I'll bring you an interview with a different special guest. Many will be from the world of sport. All of them have a story worth sharing. In a time when doom and gloom is all too easy to find, this is a place where we'll be promoting the positive why I hope you'll keep me company each week as I explore where our guests get their motivation and inspiration from to succeed. It's episode seven of the podcast and this week's show contains so many good stories. We actually recorded it over two days but we've put it all together for you and I hope you'll enjoy it. I know I certainly did recording it. The stories really need to be heard to be believed from a man who has been behind the scenes working with some big names and some big football clubs. I'm So happy to have him on the podcast this week. He is the Chief Operating Officer of Burnley Football Club, a lofty role, a Premier League guest on the show this week. Matt Williams, thank you for coming on.
1: Thanks for inviting me, Michael. Thank you.
0: We're going to talk about it throughout the course of this. You've had lots of interesting roles throughout football, working with different clubs, a man of many titles, and uh, I I hope a good few stories to share.
1: Uh, Yeah, but I'm not going to tell you all, Michael. Those will be in the book when I finally retire.
0: (laughs) If we look at, you know, I guess things as they are now, Burnley, being involved with the Premier League Club, I would imagine that means you're a very busy man.
1: Yeah, yeah, there's there's no day ever the same. Uh, I split myself between the stadium, which is the main admin offices, uh, and the training ground. Um, During the pandemic, I've been... Predominantly based at, at the training ground, which um, has has been interesting because you I've got really really close to closer to the to the players uh, and the staff of the under 23s and the, and the first team than than perhaps I would normally do. Um, so that's been that's been really really interesting and and trying to make sure that they comply with our COVID protocols and and you know I'll, I'll be i be glad when we finally get out of this this mess because my my workload will. I'm going to say ease, it probably won't, there'll be more challenges, but it's been a, a challenging period. Uh, and then the the whole football operation of, of delivering Premier League football um, from, from last June with the Project Restart has been fascinating, challenging. You, you you know, I've had to go, I've been one of the fortunate ones that has been able to go to watch all the games, home and away, perhaps. Uh, in the past, I wouldn't have gone to as many away games. I certainly wouldn't have gone to a Crystal Palace or a Norwich um. By choice, um, because of having family and everything, so it's put a strain at home being away. And we tend to have the the less attractive kick off time, shall we say? We don't kick off at four o'clock on a Sunday. We'll be kicking off at six o'clock on a Monday, or uh, you know, it's very rare that we play on a on a Saturday afternoon. Uh, so that that's been that's been challenging. It's been really really interesting, um, but it's it's no days the same. I've been today at the training ground post our game last night against Leicester. So it's it's prepping for that and feeding back the the, um, the, the, the debrief we had after the game with the Premier League and their compliance to, to make sure that we, we carry that forward into the Arsenal game on on Saturday. And at the same time, then having an eye on the future fixtures and how that plots and transfer windows and the issues with our international players, whether they'll be quarantined, who they're playing how we get them back into the country? Will they go away on an international duty uh, in later this later this month? So it's it, it's non-stop. Uh, we 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 were taken over uh, with new American owners uh, at the beginning of the year, first uh, of January, which has been has been interesting. Um, it's an exciting time for the club. Um, they were struck down with a bout of COVID for the first month that they were here, so they were middle of a transfer window, new club, and were in quarantine and couldn't leave the house. Uh, and they're, they're up in the, in the sticks outside of Clitheroe where there's n- not much mobile phone signal. The internet's not great. So it's, it's, been, it's been a tough time for them. So they're, they're back and trying to implement their ideas and vision and strategy moving forward, which is, which is probably what the club's needed, if I'm, I'm being honest. The, the football side of the, of the business has, has moved forward considerably quicker than the off-field, uh, certainly in the five years I've been here. Uh, and you know, in football, if you if you stand still, you're going backwards. So we 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 you know, with the 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 new American owners, we're we're looking at all sorts, not just on the field, but we're looking at the commercial, the off the field, the recruitment, staff recruitment, uh, staff engagement, supporter engagement. So because we we know that when supporters come back, we have to make it even better than they remember. Uh, whilst we can't control what happens on the ninety minutes on the Saturday, we can control it being a slick, smooth operation from purchasing ticket good customer service right through to to, to the end so uh, and then maximizing the 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 secondary spend of a supporter and you know and, and in everything that we do so um yeah it's a, it's, a, it's a, an exciting and, and difficult time um, because of the pandemic but i think football in, in itself has probably needed to reinvent itself slightly uh, and and you know go back to basics and get the basics right and get the customer service right and get the old match day experience right uh, off the field uh, and on the field i think there's i had an argument with someone a few weeks ago that they said it's easy to recruit for burnley in the premier league than it is for a club in league 2 and i said that's absolutely not the case it's the complete opposite you know it's the uh, it's the toughest league in the world to to recruit that the sums even the you know we we've got one of the smallest budgets if not the smallest budget Uh, And to recruit players for us at this level, knowing that they have to compete uh, in the toughest league in the world, is is so difficult. And you can't make mistakes. You know, some of the bigger clubs can lose, can sign someone for 15 million and you never hear from them again and they just disappear. And, you know, we can't make that mistake. If we spend 15 million on a player, they have to hit the ground running and have to fit into the culture, which we've got a fantastic manager. you have got the best manager I've worked with. I was doing... Uh, listing who the manager that I've worked with before and, and Sean is head and shoulders above any manager I've, I've worked with from a, a management point of view from an engaging point of view from a respect you know he, he gets the, the whole package and what you see on the touchline and in interviews is exactly what he's like off the field um, you know he, and he's, he's probably a lot more genuine off the field than you perhaps see him on the field he's, he's brilliant to work with I uh, think he's got a group of players who buy into his philosophy, which is, you know, is you work hard, first and foremost, If you and everything else will come with it. And, you know, yeah, we don't play the sexy football that uh, a Man City play, but everyone who plays Burnley knows have been in a game and compete. And we try and do that right through the club, through the under-23s, the 18s and below That We get, first and foremost, good people who've got good values, uh, who are respectful. Everywhere we've been in, in Project Restart, every hotel, uh, at all age groups, the staff comment that we are genuinely nice people. we polite coaches, there's no egos, there's no clicks, there's no um, you know big headphones and they come off the coach. They're, they're all focused there to do a job and, and, and that's testament to the manager. So if we do recruit a player into that group, they have to buy into that because it's such a tight group. It reminds me very much of the group that we had at Blackpool under Ian Holloway when we were promoted to the Premier League, that... They they all get on on and off the field, the wives socialise, you know, and you know the, obviously the salaries are a lot higher than we had at Blackpool, but the the same um, belief is there that we, we want everybody to to get on and, and Sean is integral to that and you know he, he he makes sure that you know family is first, you know, if anyone's got any issue with the, the family. Football secondary gone first, and, and it, that's comes from him. So, uh, yeah, good, 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 fantastic club, best club I've I've worked at. Um, it's it's probably got the best community feel to the club than that of any club I've, I've worked at. It's very much in the heart of the community. It's you know every every morning when I drive to Turf Moor, um, I'll see someone wearing something Burnley. Um, which is why we changed from Puma to Umbro because I was sick of seeing people wear Puma so I said we've got to miss we're missing a trick here we should get them all in the Umbro for three or four years and then switch to something else so um, but it is a massive part you know you think Burnley's an area that's only got a population of 70,000 and we average 20 in the Premier League going to get that it's Premier League football and everything like that but the football club is a massive part of the community and and we've got a, a fantastic community scheme Uh, that are are out there delivering non-football initiatives, which when you've got an iconic focal point as a football club within your community, it has to be more than just football. And and, um, the the community department that was led by our previous chief executive, who's just left, did a fantastic job over five, I think Neil was there five or six years. And he, he really put Burnley's community scheme on the map and has delivered some, some real, real difference to the town and the area you know, and I think that's something that the the American owners want to capitalise on, want to develop even further, but at the same time export the global nature of the Premier League, and the and the Burnley the Burnley model. You know, our our, our owner speaks of when we played Liverpool and won at Anfield um, a month ago. Or so uh, ago, we we probably had 30, 40 million fans willing us on to win um, to beat Liverpool that night. Um, so it's it's how we can. Engage with those, and we know we're never going to take Manchester United's fan base. But for, for a couple of games a season, they will become Burnley supporters when you're playing their arch rivals. So it's how we can capitalise on that, give them content, and monetize that content to to advertisers to to capitalise on the Premier League brand, which is something we've not historically looked to explore. We've focused solely on the the, the East Lancashire area and delivering that. So it's. Um, Great, great time to have some new owners who've got the, the global vision at the same time as wanting to develop the local family field club, which is exactly what we are.
0: You've done a really good job there of explaining just how varied your role is. And obviously, COVID adds another component to it as well. Football fans look at the beautiful game, uh, the business element of it, I would imagine, not always so beautiful, can be quite ruthless, cutthroat. You talk about the pressures of, of getting your spending right and you've had a couple of success stories, like when you look at recent transfers, you're talking about nine or 10 million for a player like Jay Rodriguez. So you, then you, you know, is getting regular game time. How hard is it for you? Cause I imagine the eyes are on you when you, okay, spends like that, that, that those moves work.
1: I mean, it's, it, it's, it's important first and foremost, that, that the player can affect the group. Um, and, and Jay, Jay slightly different because Jay Jay came through the ranks at Burnley and left and, uh, and, and you know that if you're spending 10 million, we have to have a 10 million pound player that fits into all the, the work ethic of, of Sean and his team. Because you know they 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 run further than any other Premier League club. They they, they work harder. Um, you know it's it, it's a place of work. Uh, so you've got to get that culture of an individual right. But you, you can't you can't make mistakes. And you know we one thing that Sean leads on across the club is we try and eliminate any and I said this to, to, to Matthew Tipton, uh, that you have to try and eliminate any excuse a player can have. Because uh, I remember Tippy as a player and he would moan about every little thing. And we try and eliminate that. So uh, we, we travel right. We, we stay in the best hotels we possibly can. We can eat, eat food that you, you wouldn't eat at home. I mean, I, I joke with our nutrition and sports science department that these lads wouldn't eat some of the food that we put on at the training ground and and on away trips, we would never—they would ne- never ever eat that at home. But you need to eliminate the excuse. So this is what we try and do across. You know, it's almost um, like a, a job interview when you sign a player. Uh, you pretty much know if you're going to pay 10 million pound for someone that they're going to have ability. But it's the it's the other side that you need to make sure that they can fit into the culture, they can fit into the work ethic, that they don't come with with unmanageable baggage. Because I think we all know footballers. Uh, in the past that, you know, and I look at Joey, Joey Barton, who we, we took here, Sean, took a punt on Joey, that everyone, there was a lot of people were like, not sure you'll take Joey, and Joey was brilliant, in both spells, Joe was with us, and you speak as you find, and Joey's been absolutely fantastic, and, you know, he's respectful, worked hard, everything that people think Joey isn't, he, he was, and, you know, I've, when Joe went to to Fleetwood, uh, I've been to see him a couple of times because Fleetwood's near where I, I live, uh, and he's maintained that level of courtesy, respect, professionalism since since leaving Burnley. So you know, when he when when Joe signed, everybody was a bit not sure, not sure, but Joe Joe probably got us promoted, you know, yeah. in the in yeah. the spell he got us over the line, and he had the betting thing over his head and. In the Premier League when he was with us, you know, he, he was fantastic. You know, he, but it, it's it's getting that knowing you, knowing your stuff. And we've got a manager who, you know, he will never, we would never ever sign a player that Sean didn't say yes to for the first team because there's no point. Why would you go and spend 10 million pounds on a player that the manager says he's not for me? He's going to sit in the stand for the next three years of his contract, never going to play. So we, we there's, there's a fine balance between. Um, signing players that you can develop and, and like we did with a, a, a Tarkowski, who you signed for 3 million, who's probably now worth 40. Um, those players are difficult to find in the current climate, but you, you need to, to, to juggle the two. So you need some, some assets coming through underneath. And we, we're currently working at developing a, a layer underneath the first team squad between the under 23s and the first team to give a little bit of quality and depth. But at the same time, when you sign someone, you want them to hit the ground running. And so an Eric Peters, who we got from Stoke for a million, million and a half a couple of years ago, um, he had the Premier League experience that that we need. And yeah, there's no real sale, no resale value on Eric. You, you you might get your money back, but what he gives you for two years with his experience, with his ability, sets you in good stead for 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 the so you can utilize money elsewhere in the squad. So the prime ones that you're going to spend money on are you strikers. You know, we've te- we spent 15 million on Chris Wood uh, and he's, he's repaid us you know, 10 times over because his goals for the last two or three years have kept us in the league.
0: Transfer values, that must be a real fun element when you're meeting with other clubs and trying to sort things out. No arguments there, possibly.
1: <laughs> it, it, it is what it is, you know, you... you it, the value of what someone will pay for a player is the value, and you know if, if we don't think someone's worth 30 million, you know, not that we would be at the table for a 30 million pound player. We, we tend to know where we shop in. You know, it, uh, I, I don't, you know, we don't shop at Harrods, but you know, we're we're not we're not on the reduced to clear counter either. So it's you know we have we, we, got to get it right, uh, and we spend a lot of time, and we've got a, a technical director who's really really experienced in Mike Rig who's been at a number of clubs, who's developed a, a recruitment strategy and gone a lot more analytical than than perhaps the old days where you just have someone, go, yeah, known him since he was nine, great player. But well, we need a bit more than that now. We need to have the eyes as well as the the data and the analytics. So it's combining the two, which technical director does very, very well. Um, managing the agents because every agent has got the next best thing, Um Uh, So you've got to manage them and you've got to give them the the time because you don't want to miss one. Um, Because, you know, you'll get... I'll get a a call off someone saying that Matthew Tipton's the best centre-forward that the world's ever seen Um, and we should sign him. But you go and do your research and realise that he's, you know, now nearly 50. And i (laughs) move. So, um, but, you know, so you've got to spend a lot of time. The, 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 The relationships... Um, you know, I was talking to someone again this morning about the relationships that you have externally with other clubs, um, not only in the Premier League but across the pyramid to get players out on loan for experience, to get heads up on players who are playing in that league. So you know, it, and you you're always growing your network because you always want to recruit the, the best players. You want your players to go out and play for the best teams they can play for to get in the experience, and, and and that's what we 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 do well here. Uh, pre-pandemic, we had something like 11 or 12 of our under-23s playing league football, which for a club like Burnley is massive. Because three years before that, we we there was, you know, we would have struggled getting them out to non-league football, uh, let alone into into the league, but making a difference. So uh, it's something that we're we're proud of. Our academy um, went to a Cat One academy in the summer, so that's increased the, you know the the challenges and expectations of you know, we're going to have to start producing players. Because you know it costs us probably circa two million to run a year, and two or three years in, if you've not produced a player, Sean would be well within his rights to come to me and say, "Well, we spent six million on that; uh, it's not produced anyone." I could have had six million to to spend and and gone, bought a twenty-one million pound striker type thing. So, you know, it's always it's it's, it's a tough it's a tough, tough player recruitment and player development is the toughest toughest part of. Of any club, I, I, I think, and I think if you speak to, 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 to managers and chief executives, and so they'll, they'll all say the same. It's getting your recruitment right and having a good recruitment structure to get that right is key.
0: I'll ask you more about the transfer recruitment bit in a minute, but you've mentioned Matthew Tipton a couple of times. So, for anyone that doesn't know the link, how do you know our Matthew? Yeah, I,
1: I've, I've known, I've known Tippy for must be 20 years, if, if, if not longer. It feels longer. Um, <laughs> Uh, he, he he obviously started at Oldham. Uh, I, I'm from Oldham. Uh, we there was a, a couple of players that I knew well uh, at Oldham in those days who, who were good friends, and we ended up bumping into each other from there. And uh, first first met him uh, socially at a cricket match where Oldham football were playing Oldham rugby in in a cricket match, and he I think he must he, he'll tell you got hundred. I don't know if he did get hundred. He certainly got fifty. If not more, and uh, I tried to get him to play for my club team at the time, and he wouldn't. Uh, And we we stayed in touch, and then I I um, became got involved in football over at Blackpool, Um, and you know I still lived over in in Oldham, and and would bump into him on a night out because back in those days he used to like a night out um, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Uh, Tell a lie, didn't go out on he didn't go out on a Friday um, before a game. He, He he he. would occasionally go out on a Thursday uh, and until he got caught. Um, so, yeah, we, we, we got on really well from there and then we became very, very good friends. I tried to get Blackpool to sign him a couple of times. Um, when, it, when Once when he was leaving Macclesfield, when Colin Hendry was manager at Blackpool and then once when Ian Holloway was manager, we, we uh, Tippy and I had done some charity going around 18 um, county cricket grounds in the summer. There was five of us that did that and we were in Bristol, and Ollie came and had a beer and something to eat with us. and uh, And Tippy got talking about his career and training and coaching, and and Ollie offered him uh, the opportunity to come and coach our reserves and and play and keep fit. and I think he was going to play in a in a League Cup game at Crew on non contract and come into Blackpool to, to keep fit and to do some coaching. and He got the opportunity to move to to Ireland, um, which obviously he's done very very well. He did well at Dundalk, and then he came. North, support down Linfield, um, wherever else he's been, Ballamina, uh, Warren Point as manager. I know his career better than him, I think. Um, and and we, we, we we speak regularly. Uh, I, I have the, the, the hour drive in the morning, an hour drive home, and often I'll ring him or he'll ring me and we're on the phone um, for, for, for an hour, if not longer. I spoke to him the other, the other month when I was going down to Villa and I rang him in Blackfield in my car, and I was still speaking to him as I pulled up at Villa Park two hours later. So... Um, you know, he's, he's been great for me in terms of uh, he, he's a good pair of eyes, a trusted pair of eyes on players in North and, in the north and south of Ireland. Um, like I say, he's, he's, I'm, I'm not surprised he's, he's done what he's done as a, as a manager. Uh, as a player, he was a handful. He was very opinionated. I think he still is. Um, I, I did chuckle at his quotes about the, the corner flag uh, in the recent first <laughs> game, which I think might have got him in a spot of bother. Um, but no, he's, he's he's a great he's a great lad, great great friend of mine. Um, great family, um, got a lot of time for his, his, him as a family. Uh, tried to get his dad to 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 do some of the scouting uh, in North Wales uh, for us that he did for, for Oldham because he spotted quite a few players, and we should have signed some of the players that um, his dad had recommended, but we didn't. So, right, good good guy. Good to see him doing well. Um, I'm pretty sure that he will have a career over here. As a, as a football league manager, if you if you got the opportunity,
0: he tells me that you um, have bowled out a, a very famous cricketer in your time.
1: I don't, I, but there's been that many to be fair, Michael. <laughs> uh, yeah, Brad yeah, Hodge. Uh, yeah, it, it was. Um, I, I, I've I've never been the the, the, the best cricketer um, ever, and uh, we we had a, a situation where the club side that I was involved at. Had to play a Lancashire Cup game, which was quite a, it was like the, the European equivalent of league cricket, or in, in, you know, it was quite a big thing. And it was the first time the club had ever played in the Lancashire Cup. And um, the league wouldn't switch the, the first and second team fixtures. So we had a team of has beens, never will bees and kids that went across to, to Farnworth. And Brad Hodge was pro for Farnworth. And they had a, another, they had a West Indian overseas amateur called uh, Phillips and Johnson. And we've we've rocked up there, and this was billed to be the the, the big bank holiday weekend game because uh, we were top of the first team, was top of the table at the time, and we've turned up with a real ragtag side. And we've said to the skipper, you know, we've we've you know, we've got half a dozen kids, a couple of really old men, and a couple who love the game but can't play, which I was one of. And um, we said, listen, you know, if 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 we win the toss, don't bat because we'll be chasing three hundred and. And that skipper said, no, if we win the toss, we're going to have to bat. It's bank holiday weekend. We've got this really nice day. We've got loads of people coming down, uh, and we need the money over the bar. So we we lost the toss. They batted first. And they were something like 40-odd for four. And I dropped uh, Ben Johnson before he'd scored. Uh, and then they went on to be around about 300 for four. And then the skipper turned to me and said, well, you might have a ball. And I bowled left-arm flighted filth which is, it was utter, sort utter of shy that I bowl, if I'm being <laughs> honest. It was the slowest full toss I've ever bowled in my life. And Hodge's eyes have, have lit up and he's going to set to, you know, hit it back to, to, to Australia and he's top-edged it to mid-wicket. Uh, and the lad with butterfingers is underneath it and I'm on my knees begging him not to drop it. He's caught it uh, and he was out for 114, but I have give him the the, the, the send off as well to send him where the the, the, the dressing rooms were uh, and we, we you know so I've, I've I've mentioned that once or twice but we were uh, we were soundly beaten we were all out for eighty nine and I, I I was run out attempting a, a second a quick second which it was good times we've got so we've had some great times playing cricket with Tippy um, in in various uh, alcoholic states over over. Of the course, he, he, he's, he he's taken the worst ever hat-trick at cricket I've ever seen. Um, oh, really? Which i told you about, yeah. He, he, and I actually, we, we, we played in the game and it was the worst hat-trick he's ever, it was like something, the ball that bounced four times before it uh, hit the wicket. And, you know, sort of, again, it was, it was awful. And we were in the huddle after his hat-trick and we were sort of joking with him if that was the first hat-trick he'd ever scored, which he took offence to and then rhymed off every hat-trick he'd ever scored in his in his history from the age of nine and, you know, went on to say he'd scored 300 goals in one season for banger under eights and all this sort of thing when he was four, you know, what it's like, um, so yeah, so good, some good times, some good memories playing cricket with Tippy.
0: He has a fantastic he memory. There's awesome. no way you're winning an argument there, or if you do, maybe you're a very good man.
1: I <laughs> know uh, you, you can't, you can't win an argument with him. Um, you know, we've, we've had some, we've had some, um, some, some, some funny moments. We, um, so lived in Blackpool and we went to watch an old firm game at Ibrox um, on the, the Blackpool Rangers fans uh, bus that left Blackpool at five in the morning. So we've, we've taken like a few beers with us to drink on the coach and we've got on the bus and the, the first four seats, they said, you can't sit there. So right, oh, OK. And he, he had a game for Macclesfield on the Tuesday. And um so, so why can we not sit there? He said, oh, you'll see. So we've we, like five in the morning this is and you're sort of like having a can of, fosters or whatever it was and the, the first four seats of the coach then ended up filled with cans of cider and lager and everything and, and they said so what do you do then he said well that's for your journey home because that won't last what the beer that you brought will only last you till you get to Glasgow he said so you'll need a drink on the way home and I'm thinking you know you know I have, have a dozen cans here that's <laughs> that's going to be great. and we, we so we drank our, we both drank our allocation going up and we'd got into Ibrox and I'd got some some scout seats off uh, Andrew Dixon at Ibrox who's a good friend of mine um, and I sort of sat half cut looking at the guy next to me um, who's who scouting who are you scouting for he went on I'm scouting for West Brom So West Brom you'll know that bloody um, Dan Ashworth won't you who went on to become technical director of the FA he's gone yeah yeah I am Dan Ashworth and I was like, what? He went, I am Dan Ashworth, who are you? And I went, oh, I'm Matt from Blackpool. And he went, right, ring me when you're sober. And, and Dan mentions that every time. Tippy was in hysterics. He went, who is it? Who is it? I said, it's Dan Ashworth, the technical director of West Brom. And then Tippy's wanted to jump up out of his seat and show him that he could still do it. Uh, we've got on the bus coming back and had a load more beer coming back. And then at, at quarter to eight, Tippy stood up in this bar we were in and said, that's me, not allowed to have another drink. Barman, I'll have a glass of water. So, so what, what are you on about? He said, 48 hours before Macclesfield play on Tuesday night and I can't drink, otherwise I'm breaking club rules. I mean, the fact you had been drinking from five in the morning. <laughs> does seem to but uh, one of many, many tales with Tippy. One of many, many tales.
0: Don't get in the way of his logic now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, he does have some, does have some, some weird, weird ideas. But you know, it's good to see him doing, doing well. Um, uh, he, 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 he's got a great uh, outlook on football, in my opinion. Uh, he, I think he, he, he needs a little bit more confidence in, in what he's doing. Uh, and I know that's odd for Tippie because he comes across as someone who's uber confident. I think he, he, he could have a potential to go a long way in, in management. Um. If if he believes in you know carries on to believe in what he's doing and I think his his assistant Dave uh, someone else I know uh, very very well Dave Miscelli, um he's probably one of the best goalkeepers uh, I've seen um, certainly seen seen live and and he's one of those that had he got a chance I think he would have become uh, uh, you know probably one of the most capped players in in Northern Irish history but he didn't get his chance he got injured at the at the wrong time made a couple of career decisions that he probably regrets making and um, you know so it's good to see him because I think he could potentially be a top top goalkeeping coach as well as assistant manager but they know as I said to you earlier they know all the all the all the excuses there's, there's you know I mean he although he still still tells me that he's learning and, and people keep coming to him with things that he just can't understand and so we you know ask, ask Daishi ask Daishi he called him Daishi he said ask Daishi how we deal with this and I was thinking well I don't think he'd ever have to deal with a part-time member of with his playing staff saying that if I'm not coming on Gaffer, I'm, I'm going to work midway through the second half. He's just, you know, he'd, he'd think I was a bit stupid if I asked him that, but he, he's, he's forever wanting to learn. And, and, and that was evident when we met Ian Holloway, when we were doing the, the charity around the clubs. He was pumping Ian Holloway for information and advice and, and I know we stayed in touch with him and I know that Ollie had messaged him when he got the, the Warren Point job to say so if you need anything, you know, I'm on your phone call away, which is which just shows the sort of character that Tippy is and how well respected he is over here. There's a lot of people that uh, that speak highly of him. We've got Dale Stevens, who was a, a, a YT at Berry with 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 um, Tippy and, and he's he's regular, how's he doing? How did they get on this weekend? Sending my best. You know, I'll tell him if he needs a, a midfielder in a couple of years, I'll come over. And stuff like that. I'm, I'm, not sure. I'm not sure.
0: On the recruitment front, you know, you spoke about, unfortunately for Dave Miskelly, some things didn't work out at crucial times. And that can so often be the case with players. You know, That can be the making or breaking of anybody. He obviously had a very good career here. But for young players, some of whom will no doubt be watching this and wondering, how do I attract a Burnley? How do I make my way from... A prospect in Northern Ireland to someone that might get a move across the water because it's so ultra competitive, and then the transfer fees are another sticking point sometimes too.
1: Yeah, I mean it's. I would say certainly players players across the water um, have got probably the best chance now because of Brexit. Uh, that's really opened up the the, and it's going to be a really really fierce, fierce pool of uh, and, and can really competitive for, for, for most clubs to to get those players um, and it, it, you know you've got to be playing I think you've got to be playing um, you, you, you are, um, we, we, we have discussions here about players who go to academies and I think there's, there's nothing better than playing proper football and, and men's football if you, if you you know it's the old adage if you're old enough you're good enough or you're good enough you're old enough whichever way it was um, and and you know, the recruitment of players from Ireland now is going to be massive. Um, And that then comes with its complications because clubs in Ireland will now know it's massive and will be holding out for, in the past, where you could go across and, you know, a bag of balls and a a friendly, that they're going to hold you to the fee for compensation, which uh, we had one with a player from down south um, in the last 12 months where um, he'd been at a club two or three clubs from the age of 12. Uh, we wanted to sign him, but they, we needed to, to get his full player passport from the... Uh, now, I'm going to get confused if it's the FAI or the IFA. I, I get the, the North and South...
0: FAI is down south.
1: Right, so it, so they refused to, to release his player passport because they knew that we were going to go, basically, to all the grassroots clubs he played for. And so, you know, we want to sign this guy, give him a chance. But... We don't want to pay you the money that's under fee for compensation we want to give you a like a five percent sell on if he, if he goes on and, and well, you know that is a downside and I, I, I'm I push our recruitment team to get all the information in place uh, in advance but I can see why the the, the, the associations and the clubs are, are beginning now to sell a lang on we're missing out on tens of thousands uh, just to give players the opportunity so it, it'll go one of two ways. You know, you would think that if, if clubs don't do that, then the, 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 the leagues will get stronger. And I think if you look at the South, you've got Dundalk, but I know they've got a, 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 some some investment and you've got Shamrock now and other clubs that are getting some investment. But that's going to push the, the quality of the league up. Uh, and then players will filter out and will filter down and will filter into the into the North to, to play, which, which is what you want. So um, getting players who are playing... Um, competitive football good a uh, good level at, at 16 17 is massive um you know we, we're not supposed to look at players under 16 and bringing them across uh, i know everybody does but you know you, you can't physically sign that player uh, under 16 so i think unless you relocate the family then that comes into a whole different area that we we, we shouldn't be uh, shouldn't be doing and um, you know so we you, you look at it you, you want them playing and you want And for me, I would have Burnley like Middlesbrough did with Porter Down. They've got the relationship. I think, you know, we're we're missing a. We're we're certainly discussing in house that we don't miss the trick of not having a partnership club. And that can be coach education as well as being your eyes in in the country to to get the best players. Uh, Otherwise, you end up with agents getting involved and an agent will come to you and say, well, Burnley, Preston, Blackburn, man, you were in for him. Well, you know, Bellamina or Dungannon or whoever are gonna well, if they're all in for him, then, then we're not going to go. But then the parents start kicking off and it becomes messy. So, um, to, to, to get spotted, it's going to be scouted to death um, the north and south in the next. If it's not been already, um, it will be once the, once things open up. I'm, I'm pretty sure that, the, the, I know, well, I know, we, we had, when I was at Shrewsbury, we signed Darren McKnight, and I know his dad, John, was working for Man City at the time. Uh, so it, the bigger clubs have already been doing that, but that's going to be the pool that they'll be recruiting from. Uh, and I wouldn't be surprised if more um, European players under 18 found themselves in, in, down south because they can then move, you know. So it, I think it's going to become quite interesting to the impacts of Brexit on, on, on player recruitment from, from Scotland, Wales, Ireland particularly.
0: That whole aspect is fascinating. As a commentator in, you know, across Ireland, I guess, you see so many young players and you often like to try and guess who's going to make that move. And it can be small things that decide it. In the most recent episode of this podcast, I had Kevin Doyle on, who we yeah. know the career he went on to have. And, and he looks back at a release clause, buyout clause that he put in when he was at Cork City of 100 grand that was ultimately what allowed him to get the move to Reading because by the time Reading were interested, probably wanted more
1: than a hundred grand. Well, that's it. And, and agents are fully aware of that now. And that, you know, there's a lot of uh, Irish agents who, uh, you know, who know the market and know the way Brexit's going. And and we'll do exactly that. You know, we've, we've, we've historically done well with Irish players. You know, you look at our current squad with Robbie Brady, Kevin Long, we've had, we've had John Walters, Jeff Hendrick, you know, so, um, you know, Kevin Long was one we, we got from direct from the South and, and, you know, those sort of players aren't going to be there because if there's anyone that shows any sort of potential, the, the clubs will be snapped up. Uh, and this is this is why that you know, which is good for me having having Tippy as as a mate who's giving giving me heads up. We took the lad uh, McCulloch from from Porter down. and um, so you know you think well, the, the, you know Fleet would have taken a, 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 a few players that um, Tippy had historically recommended to them so that you know that the players are there and they're getting the chance but it's going to be so it's going to be such a competitive market which is great for the kids uh, and and the clubs because they will benefit more and they'll be able to hold out for better deals particularly if if agents start doing the what the agents should do and, and that is working for the best for the player and the club that they're, they're dealing with to sell it because the the, the recruitment um, is going to be such a narrow pool now because we can't go and get 16-year-old Frenchman or 17-year-old Italian, it's it just won't, it's not there.
0: The relationship with the agents must be a difficult thing to manage because you need them, but you'd love to not need them.
1: Uh, absolutely. They're, they're, they're an occupational hazard. Um <laughs> they're, they're, they're like every like anything, there are good agents, there are bad agents, there are indifferent agents. Um we 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 have good relationships by and large. Um it's it's Utilising the relationships that we have across our coaching staff, across our academy, across senior management, because you know agents will will tap away at everybody uh, until they get the answer that the agent wants. Now we need to we need to manage that, um, but we we by and large communication in turn inside of a club of what's going on with agents is massive. Um, but yeah, they're an occupational hazard. Uh, there the, there are some really good ones. Um, and there, there's too, there's too many of them, in my opinion. I think that, that FIFA wanting to regulate them is is a step in the right direction. We, you know, we've already um, we we in England we, and I think certainly in in Scotland they are regulated to to a degree, but there's there's, there's too many of them. Um, you know, the 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 games that they shouldn't be out, they they manage to get here, there, and everywhere, and you know, you see them offering parents things and doing things that they shouldn't do but you know where do, where do you draw the line you know the, the fa don't have the resources to, to 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 dive deep into every single player registration that involves an agent uh, it, they'd, be, they'd be doing nothing else so difficult difficult but so there are some good ones that the bigger ones tend to be the better ones because that's they've got the more resources um you, you soon become forgotten, though. The bigger, the bigger ones. It's great if you're a player and you get sold the dream by a big agent, but if then you don't make the progression that they want you to make, you're soon forgotten about, and your career these can be discarded. So it's a it's a fine balance. So certainly, a lot of the bigger agents now are uh, expanding their staff to, to to make sure they don't miss the late developers. Um, so if you'll have someone who'll have like. Um, a 17-year-old kid with with one agent, if all of a Suddenly, he jettisons um, up into the first team, and he's scoring goals in the Premier. You can you can rest assured that uh, that the senior people of that agency will all of a sudden say, "Right, thank you very much. They're now under my wing because they've got a, the perceived value." Which which happens.
0: I guess there is why it's so important for you to be a good people person and to have so many relationships across the game. I was talking to Rhys Williams. Head of youth development at Charlton Athletic a while ago, and he was saying, you know, one aspect you can have a boy you've seen from seven, eight years of age all the way up, and then the 18s coach doesn't fancy him, and he's gone. And you need to have those relationships for someone to say, here, take a punt on this kid. We like him.
1: Well, so, so we 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 had that with um, Chris Con, uh, Cricky Conn um, who, who left us in January to go to Fleetwood. Um, our 16s to 18s coach really really loved him thought he was you know thinks he's a a, a talent and a player which he's talented I'll give him that he came into the 23s group which is a lot more physical a lot more requirements of a game side of the game that Chris probably couldn't get his head around or couldn't couldn't wasn't capable of doing and and then we made the decision that we would release him uh, at the end of this this season but we, we got a heads up that the The uh, current academy manager at Fleetwood is our ex-head of education here. So we put the call in to him, listen, we're releasing him. Do you want to have a look at him? And then away he goes. So I I maintain it's easier for a player who's been released from a a Cat 1 club or a Premier League club to get another club. It's not so easy when we were releasing players at Shrewsbury in League 2 for them to get other clubs. And and that's the worst part of my my job. I'm lucky we're here. We've got such a, a great network of staff and support staff uh, that, that that can deal with the, the player's exit. Because in in effect, in effect, you you're killing the dreams. But the further down the pyramid you go, when you're killing the dreams, it's it's the worst part of the job because you're sitting there with a, a parent and a child and basically killing their footballing dream. And you know, 99 times out of 100, that player is not going to come back and, and bite you. Um, you know you're sitting down with a a scholar and saying thanks very much you've you've enjoyed your two years with us but you're not good enough see you later you know you can go and try we'll support you but post 30th of June when the scholarship ends that you're just someone who was at that club two years ago and and it's wrong and and football further down uh, where the resources aren't there should do more the PFA whether or not the PFA could do more whether the FA could do more and I know we have exit trials and things like that but it's the it's the it's the shattering the dream that I used to find soul destroying. You know, it was I used to go home and sort of say, "Okay, i well, no, not really." It? But it's the day we've released the scholars, and I've had to sit down and with the with the manager and the, the youth coach, and, and basically say, "Sorry, son, you know, go go look for something else." And and a lot of them don't see it, and a lot of the parents don't want to see it because they live their footballing dream through the son. You know, my son's a, a pro club. Is this that another one? You know, there's not many that, that make it. So if you if you get into a into a Premier League club, you will always get a trial or you get something because the football people will say if you've been at Burnley, you must have something. It's, so it, it, that's 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 it's awful. That that side of the job is it, it, it is awful. And I did that for a number of years at Blackpool and at, at Shrewsbury where we have to release players and you know they're... Shrewsbury did it with Andre Gray. That came back and bit them. They released Andre Gray after his scholarship and he went on to become a £20 million Premier League player. But those, those stories are very few and far between.
0: Yeah, certainly. And that can never be a nice thing to have to, to do.
1: It's, it's awful. It's awful.
0: What really comes across as again how varied your role is <laughs> there's so many things yeah, I mean, I we, mean, we could we could talk about almost marketing ideas and and, and i want to talk about the community yeah. stuff because i think the community side's great but there's marketing hat on there's a there's a football business
1: hat on there's the, yeah i mean and then and that's and that's when you when you've been involved uh, in the game for i mean it's nearly 20 years i've been involved in professional game um at, starting at blackpool 2002 working in the media department with uh, you know, I used to run uh, before I went to uh, Blackpool. I ran, a, I ran a pub, which is where uh, Tippy and some of the olden boys used to spend a lot of their afternoons. Um, but you know, I always wanted to work in football, so I got a job in the in the media department of Blackpool. and I, as, as a as a you know interviewing Steve McMahon, no journalistic. You'll be so curly here, Michael, because you've have, you've have done your degrees and everything like <laughs> in journalism, and I, I've never done a never done an interview, never done a match report, never. And, and I interviewed Steve McMahon like pretty much like two lads down the pub having a chat about the football, and, and the supporters liked it. It was you know it was revealing because Steve had got my trust because I worked for the club and I wasn't going to stitch him up. And and it and, and it, it went on from there. And Blackpool had such a a small skeleton staff. It really really was because the, the chairman there was he ran it you know he was he ran it on a shoestring, and and to get where we got to was. You know testament to the hard work of the staff that, that we had there and we didn't have many and so it was a, a case if you muck in and come up with ideas and and the learning curve of the 12 years i had at blackpool across all all areas of the business you know involved in the commercial involved in ticketing initiatives um you know doing the program the website then becoming the club secretary and sort of evolving there so i went into shrewsbury and i i went down to shrewsbury they'd just been rele- relegated to league two and i thought i will what worked at Blackpool has got to work at Shrewsbury. So I've walked into Shrewsbury and right? this is what we're going to do. And and I, you know, I might as well have been talking something in Russian or look like I could arrived from Mars because the the, the, the demographic of the people of Shrewsbury was completely different to the people in, in Blackpool. And it was like, all oh, right. So you've got to quickly then learn and, and, you know, use your initiative to, 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 to get people into a place that you think, and which we did. And we, we had we had a good certainly had a good first 12 months and then I, I was could have moved on again but I, you know came up to Burnley after about 20 months in Shrewsbury and you walk into Burnley and, and it's a, a hot it's a, it was, even then pre we were in the championship they had a lot more resources a lot more staff a lot more structure and I was like oh, what what do they do said, well that's that's group sales oh wow group sales what, what, what's the thinking behind that well, that's our marketing department. That's group sales. So we'll go out to businesses and we'll offer them a discount. Wow, you know, you've got people. Does that make? Does it make money? Well, no, it might not make money on the tickets. It washes its face. So the cost of running the department washes its face with sales. But the secondary spend, once they're in the stadium, they'll, they'll be buying merchandise, they'll be buying food and drinks. Okay. Well, what does that department? Well, that's our in-house graphic designer. So with the in-house graphic designer, i'm thinking, wow, you know, it was alien to me to come to a to club like Burnley, and I'm. So, Made a point of going around each department, understanding what they do and what work, so I could then apply it to some of the the things that we've done elsewhere. i have done elsewhere, and sort of to 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 um, to develop the people at Burnley. Um, but you know, it's it's massive. You know, I I, I used to go back to my, um, my my secondary school and sort of do a presentation on football business to the business students at school. And you say, well, what's the football? It's it's Saturday afternoon, three o'clock, getting results. So no, that's one. So well, what else is there? And then you start digging down into what a football club's all about in catering, marketing, media, commercial you know, facilities. And it's, it's a whole, you know, there must be about 10 or 11 businesses within a business. And, and to try and understand, and I still don't fully understand the majority, the, the, a lot of what goes on, I have to say, but um, it, it, it's massive, you know, and, and, and you see how hard people work. We, we've we've got a, a fantastic catering department, and you know, Christmas time, that in normal times they're, they're working morning, noon, and night, to, and they put a million pounds on the bottom of the on, on the on the balance sheet each year. Well, that that's soon gone with a player that you know, it doesn't even play a player's wages in the Premier League. You know, you sort of, you know, and they're they busting a goat for twelve months of the year, and you say, well, because the Premier League is such a big animal brilliant and you know it's important that we do that for, from a business point of view but it's soon gone you know whereas yeah. when I was groupie, we'd put like a hundred hundred and twenty thousand on the bottom line from catering well that was massive that would pay a player's wages for for a year so you know it's so understanding so that like, the catering manager knows that I understand what he's going through and what he does and some of the commercials and things so it, it's it, it's it's it, it's a massive industry it really is you know the, the, the Premier League TV and everything like that you know is why we are where we are but you know there's, there's so many other facets that, that you need to know and be aware of and and you know the, 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 the Dave Baldwin who was our Chief Executive went to the EFL for a short time um, he came from Bradford so he had a similar upbringing to me where fiscal prudence we would call it was was key and, and he was sort of like I can't get my head around that we've got all this, you know, all these facilities. We've got all this staff, and you know, it's it's difficult. It's it really is a different animal. And then you go to a, a United or a City, and you see that the staffing structures that they've got. You know, we, we were joking the other day. We, we operate on a closed doors um, on a closed doors game with, with a real skeleton staff, um, and we, we never ever meet the, the numbers that the Premier League set out as as, as maximums. And we were at Tottenham on, on Saturday, and you know they were telling us how much it would cost to, to open the stadium in normal times, and so they had forty thousand in for a a ladies game, and it lost money because you know they, they potentially between something like twelve and eighteen hundred stewards at every home game. It's like, wow, you know we have three hundred, and and the the whole sort of you know when does commercial impact on operations, that impacts on facilities, that impacts on football. And and we we have these conversations constantly, uh, particularly about when we go back to um, normal times, shall we say, that all our players currently are in one of the hospitality lounges on a a match day, having a pre-match meal, sitting and enjoying it well. In normal times, that, that won't be able to happen because we should have 200 people in that room doing the same, but spending money. And you think, well, this is going to be a real... Culture shop to football when we get back to normal times that we can't do what we've got there and it can't come quick enough for me because you know football is all about supporters and the atmosphere and everything like that and the sooner we can get those back in the in in the stadiums the the, the better and in, in a in a safe secure way because you know it's particularly for towns like Burnley it's it's the it's the lifeblood you know it really is and you know it's the whole town. Looks forward to a Saturday afternoon, and you know, I didn't probably fully appreciate it when I was at Blackpool, but when I went to Shrewsbury, you begin to realize that if you win on a Saturday, the pubs post match on a Saturday evening will be booming, everyone's spending, everyone's happy. If you get beat, everyone's miserable, and that misery continues to the following weekend. You know, no pressure. So, luckily, we got promoted in the first season at Shrewsbury, we had more good days than we had bad, but um, it's, it's difficult when you you know the, you know people's livelihoods are. At stake of what you do on a Saturday afternoon.
0: Oh, and football fans just can't wait for those away days again and the the crates of beer.
1: <laughs> well, I, again, we, living in living and working at Blackpool, the the Blackpool away trip, you know, we 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 would probably gain 20 percent increase on a, on an away um, attendance because it was Blackpool and the the Blackpool factor of you know going to Blackpool. It was one of the first fixtures you would look at Blackpool away. You think, well, great up until mid November. Um, and we don't want Blackpool from December, January, February, but get to March, Easter time, brilliant again. And, you know, that would that would you know, affect your gates. You'd, you'd be playing the Plymouth and you'd have 1,200 people in the middle of September because they'd come up for the weekend and the illuminations and, and everything like that. And you think, well, you know, and that's the same with Burnley fans going to a, a Premier League games, you know, that you never, ever get tired of going to Old Trafford, the Etihad, Anfield, the Emirates, because it's such a a great environment to watch football, you know, yeah, you, you might lose on a Saturday afternoon or Monday night or whenever it's played, but the whole experience of going with your mates, going to the game, the the, the, the football almost, the 90 minutes become secondary because you've, you know, particularly at Turf Moor, we've got people who've been sat in the same seat with the same group of people for 20, 30 years and they've missed that interaction and, you know, I wouldn't say they're friends, but they all know each other and they all have the same opinions and, chat and you just there isn't there hasn't been there and it that's left a massive hole in a lot of people you know i'm fortunate to go to as you are you've been fortunate to go to games and cover it with work um but you you know you you feel for those who who live and breathe it so much and and a club like burnley in the being the heart of the community is you know it's, it's massive we 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 when we first went into the the lockdown we you know you you had people sort of coming to try and peer through the gates to see if they could see anything to get a fix and thought well you know come on lads you've got to go it's you know and now it's important that now people have found other things to do on a saturday afternoon that we don't lose those people and we if you know everyone will want to come back on day one so you have to give them the best possible experience on day one to make sure they come back on day two three four and five because you know I, I can't imagine, and I know I've, my, my personal situation's changed now I've got kids, but there's no way I could ever go and play cricket on a Saturday and Sunday afternoon anymore because I've just found other things to do with my time. Um, you know, and people do, you, you, even though everything's in lockdown and closed, people will find other things. Money's going to be tight post-lockdown, we all know that. And you, you've got to give them a product, either on the field, which we all hope we do, but off the field, you have to give them the best possible experience to make sure they come back.
0: It sounds like Blackpool, that was a bit of a baptism of fire. In many ways, you had so many... I didn't know any <laughs> different.
1: I didn't know any different, Michael. This was a thing, and, and, you know, I was not going to say, it didn't take me 12 years to realise what the owner at Blackpool was like, but um, I'd never worked in football. You know, I, I thought i have been an olden, long-suffering Oldham fan that I thought that the players would be as, as disappointed on a Saturday afternoon if we lost as I was. And I, and, it, and it, it took me a while to sort of get my head around that, well, no, it's just a job. If, if they win, yeah, if they win, they're happy. If they lose, well, so what? It's just a job. Um, and it took me a while to get my head around that. Um, the, the the whole sort of thing of being, you know, standing there with Steve McMahon sort of interviewing. And again, we, we played, um, the first time I travelled an away game with the team was to Peterborough. Uh, and I'm a, I'm a working class lad from Oldham. I'm not used to staying in fancy hotels ever and um, we've got to the hotel and Steve used to sit at the back of the bus it was a weird uh, Steve used to sit at the back of the bus looking down so we could see everything what was going on whereas most managers would sit at the front and don't see what's going on behind and uh, he'd shout down the bus right 6.30 for food we got there about half three quarter four in Peterborough and off we've gone to the room and I'm thinking oh, great nice room this lovely hotel yeah, sort of the, the, the phone in the room goes and it's, it's Steve saying, um, where are you? So I'm in my room, Gaffy you've rang me in the room and he said, well, get, get yourself down here, there's a pint of Guinness on the barrel, well, I've never drank Guinness. I said, oh, okay, God And then, I mean, this was 2002-ish, 2003, and, um, you know, we, we must have had six or eight pints before going out into Peterborough for something to eat and a, a few more drinks and then got back and had something else to drink. And I'm thinking, and I, I, was a bag, I, was a, I was a mess. All, all day Saturday I was rough as toast sort of because and these guys would be up at breakfast they'd be going for a run they'd be doing and I'm thinking, how, did they, how did they do this and and that was a regular thing in those days you know they'd, you'd have a beer on the bus on the way home and it was a completely different culture so baptism of fire was it was it was massive the whole football world and and the, you know I, I was I'd moved from I then moved from Oldham into some digs in Blackpool which was which was great. I was in a in a in a bed and breakfast at fifty pound a week, all in bed breakfast, evening meal, laundry. Probably the best place I've ever lived in terms of value for money. <laughs> um, and and it, you know it, it was great. And you know being in Blackpool, you know it was like living in Sin City. You know the, the you'd have you'd have a group of players who take you you because you were part of the media crew and you were with them and you you'd be going out on a Tuesday afternoon and and you know became the Tuesday Club where. you'd, You'd be out until the early hours of Tuesday night, Wednesday morning, and and you know they'd be off on Wednesday, and you were having to sort of put, pick yourself up and go and write a program for Saturday's game, and you know and it just it, you know it, fantastic time at Blackpool. We had some great success, uh, and for all his faults, and the chairman of Blackpool had more faults than he had good points. I have to say, I, I, although I will say, socially away from football, he's he's a good he's a good man he's a good man. But uh, the the way he ran the football club was, I'm going to say, was questionable. I don't want to get myself in trouble. Is this Carl Loyston. Carl, Carl, yeah. I mean, but he gave me my, my opportunity. Um, I, I, you know, I used to think, used to in my sort of um, naive, loyal way, thought that he must have thought I was really, really good at what I was doing to keep promoting me into the roles. But in actual fact, he was saving himself money because you know I'd be, I'd be. Um, negotiating the transfer, negotiating the player's terms, drafting the contract, getting the player to sign the contract, interviewing the player, typing the typing the interview, up and putting it on the on the website, and you know, no wonder I was, you know, sort of never never at home. Um, so I had this sort like naive loyalty to him, and it was only um, towards the end. So 2009, when Simon Grayson was managing, he went to Leeds. I was going to Shrewsbury then and didn't go, um, and because he didn't think I'd go. Uh, and he said, oh, we'll, we'll give you a pay rise. So I told him what I wanted, and he said, oh, I can't give you that. I'll give you an extra six six grand. Rich, oh, well, it's better than nothing, so I stayed. And then when I re- resigned, just as Blackpool was on the cusp of, of going the shape of a pair, which we'd, we'd just stayed up when Barry Ferguson was um, caretaker manager, Shrewsby came back and said, well, you know, and my wife... My wife um, had got a promotion with her her job. She'd been promoted to a job in Chester. So it worked. Chester Shrewsbury, only 40 minutes, 45 minutes away. Uh, and, I, and I resigned. And, you know, and he was like, no, you've got to take it. You've got to like, well, I've been with you. I've been really, really loyal. I've dealt with a lot of like, I've dealt with the fact that you've paid your dad um, owing £11 million, but didn't tell anyone you were paying it until the accounts came out. And you just happened to be in Argentina when the accounts came out on a honeymoon. You know, I'm thinking, and so, you, so you've got to take. So I was a bit, I was, I was really disappointed that um, he didn't fight to keep me. And then uh, about a week before I was due to, 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 to leave, because I had a, had a week's holiday before I went into Shrewsbury, he, um, he said, All right, so what's it going to take to keep you? And I said, No, we've gone now, we have finished. Uh, did, did 12 months at Shrewsbury, and he was there if I ever needed him as a, as a sounding board. I'd usually ring him and ask his advice and then t- do the complete opposite. Um, because he, he, so he, you know he, he was he was you know really really tight. Um, he he offered me the chance to go back, uh, and my wife um, was probably played devil's advocate because I would have probably gone gone back. Um, and and she was sort of saying, well, have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? And then I went the other way and was like, there's no way I'm going back. There's no way I'm going back. So she went the other way and said, well, if you go back, you know, and and. And then it was all part of if Ian Holloway went back uh, and then Ian said he wasn't going back if I wasn't going back. And I said I wasn't going back if Ian wasn't going back. And and then we, we were still arguing about financials and he appointed Neil MacDonald and that was that. So, um, But no, I had, had some really, really good times at Blackpool, met some really, really good people, some long-standing friends, worked with some some really good people, the managers I worked with. Steve McMahon was, was, was my first manager who was... Um, it was brilliant, I have to say. Some of the football we played when Steve was manager, uh, we'd win 4-0 one week and lose 4-0 the next. We were either world beaters or panel beaters. Um, he, was, he was brilliant. He really, really was um, a good guy. Um, but he got oystered at the end. He wanted to push it on and Carl wouldn't. And then there were certain things that were going on with player contracts uh, and Steve was... Steve was going to leave and didn't leave and, and all this kind of thing, which was one of the first, when I became press officer, program editor, and uh, one of the first things I had to deal with was Steve McMahon's um, resigning to go to, to go to another club, which was Oldham, ironically. Uh, and he, he, he resigned, not to say he was going to Oldham, but he was resigning. So first press conference I've called, so I've got Sky, ITV, BBC, Radio 5, local radio the national newspapers there big news lads Steve McMahon's leaving got them all there so we've got you know three quarters of an hour through the press conference of him resigning there's a knock at the door and Steve Steve came in and asked the chairman for a word delayed for 20 minutes chairman came back and said oh Steve's not resigned and what he'd done is he'd gone into the chairman's office while Steve was resigning Uh, so well well Steve had gone into the chairman's office while Carl was doing the press conference and took his letter of resignation back, shredded it, and said, "No, I'm not resigning. No, 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 no. It was a misunderstanding. Uh, no, I'm wow. sort of like so, What do I do with this sort of thing?" So, um, so yeah, it was. Um, quickly checking the uh,
0: quickly checking the calendar. Going, April, you know, April Fools, by everyone. Oh, no, yeah, yeah, <laughs>
1: yeah, no, it was, no, it wasn't. I was. Uh, you know, I remember Rob Bonnet on BBC Breakfast time the following new the following morning. Said on the sports bulletin, strange, strange going on at Blackpool yesterday afternoon with the the, the uh, manager resigning, then not resigning, then playing the show and playing, showing a clip of Steve coming in and, and withdrawing his resignation, uh, and then we went on to win the LDV uh, the rest of that season, which again was uh, an experience because Steve was 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 old school, and and you know, we we went down a couple of days before, and because the the pitches weren't were, were were heavy and Steve said i oh, no, we're not training on those are too heavy so the lads did nothing Friday, Saturday and then won the game on the Sunday but that was I mean, some of the tales with Steve we went across to um, the Isle of Man tournament when there was a tournament in the Isle of Man uh, and uh, we, we've gone across on a Sunday had a week a, it was supposed to be a week's training camp with a few games uh, and the pitches weren't fit to, to train on and, and we basically didn't train for, for a week pre-season, we played a couple of games um, and had, um, yeah, we, I think we're the only club to go away pre-season and everyone put weight on because we <laughs> yeah. weren't training. We were just lounging around. It was a lovely hotel, lounging around the hotel and and doing a bit of gym work and stuff. But we'd be, you know, you'd be full English for, for breakfast, Calvary for lunch, Calvary for dinner. And then as a group of staff, we'd go out in the evening. And you know we, it was it was bizarre. It was a it was a uh, we never we never went back. Put it that way after that one. Um, So after Steve, I worked with Colin Hendry. Colin came in for uh, a couple of years, who um, socially again fantastic. Um, You know what happened to him with his wife was, you wouldn't you wouldn't wish that on anybody. Um, Really, massive family man. Um, Great family with when Denise was 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 with us. They 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 were fantastic people and, and and make you feel part of their family uh Colin left Simon Grayson came in and and Simon's one of the nicest men I've I've worked with great fella and um, so much so that he came and played cricket at our club one day because his brother his brother was a fair cricketer. Paul he used to coach Essex as you know uh and he, he came across played in a second team game and got you know got a quick fire 30 and a couple of wickets and and just generally entered into the spirit of things um he left to go to Leeds. Um, Tony Parks uh, took over as caretaker to the end of the season. Then we went through the recruitment process and we uh, got Ian Holloway, which was um, a fantastic, fantastic um, couple of years with Ollie. Um, we, we were late to interview we interviewed him at the Preston Marriott, myself and Carl Oyston. And um, we, we were late because we were interviewing Andy Ritchie at the Tickle Trout, which is the hotel about 20 minutes around the corner. And we are only interviewing Andy Ritchie because I was an Oldham fan. And I said to the chairman, I said, you've got to interview Andy Ritchie because he'd done well at Oldham, he'd done well at Huddersfield and Barnsley. And he went, I don't want to give it to Andy Ritchie. I said, no, you've got to re- interview Andy Ritchie. He'll be great. He'll bring this, that, and the other. He'll do this. He'll do that, and the other. he went, right, we'll see him. So we set up the interview and we were 20 minutes late and we've met. And Carl... Was, he was—he—he he was, he, he didn't dress appropriately for the for the interviews. So he's like in his jeans and a and a dirty farm shirt because he was you know lived up on a like a farm. Uh, and Ollie was there in his best suit tie on, and we were late. and he's like, where have you been? We said, oh, you know, we've we've been delayed. He went, you've been interviewing someone else. I was like, um, yeah, well, yeah. He went, who are we interviewing? So we told him, and he went, he's not fit to lace my boots type thing. And he, so he said, why haven't you got a tie on to Carl? And Carl went, well, I'm the chairman. I'm the one who's doing the interview. I don't need to wear a tie. He went, right, i take your mine off. And he went, right, I'll buy the coffees. And he said to Oyston, he said, I'll buy the coffees because I know you're too tight to buy them. And I was, oh, wow. And the interview lasted four and a half hours. And we were supposed to interview him, but he interviewed us. He interviewed us. Everything about what we were doing, why the stand wasn't finished, who people were what the roles were, What? why, why he hasn't done this, why he's not done that, why do he pay this, why did you do it? Because we, we have bizarre clauses in our players' contracts that um, for six weeks of the summer, you'd only pay 90, they'd play the player 90 pound a week. Right. Which is bizarre. But is this- to, for, so, it is, but if you're on, if you're on £1,000 a week, you'd still earn £52,000 a year. But you, for 46 weeks that there was cash coming into the business, you would be, you'd be on like 1100, 1138 I think it worked out, Michael, not that I remember it well. But for six weeks in the summer when there was no cash coming in and he had a cash flow issue, you just pay him £90 a week. So he went, why do you only pay your players £90 a week in the summer? And he said, well, I don't. He said, what I do is I pay him in advance of summer, but when there's no cash coming in, and explained it, which actually, if you look at it, you think, well, yeah, that makes sense. The last two weeks of May and the month of June when there's not much money coming in, I I see why you do that. I, I get it. But so Ollie was like, nah, I understand that now, right? So he's ticked it. Why do you pay um, your appearance money pro rata? He said, well, um, I, I don't think that a player who plays the full 90 minutes should get the same amount of, he, he should get more appearance money than a player who comes on for a minute. He said, and historically it's been, he went, why don't you not do it that if you come on before the 75th minute they get this and then after they get there, they well, I still don't think it's right. If, if you if you play 15 minutes, you should get 15 minutes. So they had this big discussion about appearance money. And other ways. he said, yeah, I get what you're doing. He went, but you can't lead a one-man crusade in football. You need some people's vary. So he was like, well, I'll do what I want. It's my club type thing. There's always going to be players. Uh, so we, we got to four and a half hours in, and uh, we were getting to the ending. Carl had a piece of paper with the terms he was going to offer the new manager on. So he said um right well uh, this is what i'd be proposing if we decide to offer you the job this, this is what i'll propose to give you given the piece of paper and went to the toilet so i'm sat there with holloway and and i knew that holloway was never ever going to sign for what was on that piece of paper so he said uh, he said well he's left you in the lurch there he? i said All right. he does that regularly he said he, he you know he'll he'll fire the fire the grenade and and leave me to come and pick up the pieces so he, he put it in his folder. Carl came out and went, right. So, what, what we thinking then? And Ollie said, great to see you. Um, I'll uh, we'll, we'll be in touch. He got in his car and went. And Carl said, well, what what was your what was your take on that? And I said, he, he won't won't come for what you've offered him. I said he'll probably want twice, three times what you've offered to even consider it. Um, so he went, oh well, his loss. Um, and then. In his car, going back, Holloway rang me and said, really, really enjoyed meeting you, really enjoyed the time. Think I'd do. Think we'd work really, really well together as a three. He said, but I can't work for the terms that he's offered. Uh, and I'm going to tell my agent to, to ring Carl and, and tell him that. So so the, the agent then rang Carl and said, like, really, Ian really enjoyed it, um, but couldn't work for those terms. You, you, you're way off. Uh, and so the agent had said, well, what, what does he... So Carl had said to the agent, what does he want? And they, they discussed that, and Carl went, right, well, I'll do it. So the agent said, right, and he said, uh, and I want and I want 10%. <laughs> Carl said, well, I'm not paying you to do anything. You've done nothing. He said, but I'm his agent, and that's the way it works. He said, not in my football club, it doesn't. Um, so then Carl uh, rang Ollie up and said, um, just let you know, I spoke to your agent. Um, uh, I won't be paying him an agent's fee it's a shame because I think we'd really work well together so good luck for the future see you later came off the phone Ollie went nuts and rang Carl back going you know effing and blinding who do you think you're speaking to you know I'll deal with my agent he's my agent I'll pay him um, blah, blah 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 so, so he, he he came in pointed, and then we didn't see uh, that that was in the May and then we didn't see him till um, just before pre-season and he came up and he said, right, show me the training ground. Well, the training ground at Blackpool um, is the same training ground that Stanley Matthews used in the 1950s and had very, very little investment, if any investment, on it. And he went, well, we're not training there. It's a hellhole. Find somewhere else to train. So we ended up going to train at a filed rugby club, which cost the Oysters an absolute fortune. And, and And Carl absolutely hated that and then soon realised that Ollie would train at Squires if he spent a little bit of money on getting the showers fixed. If he spent a little bit of money on the pitches, and and and, and we did, and we went back to Squires And Ollie's mantra throughout the, the promotion season was that the the Latvian Valeri had put a pot of cash together, and there was all sorts with Valeri and um, one, you know. We we signed Charlie Adam, which we we should never have, We shouldn't have got Charlie Adam. That you know, we talked about recruitment earlier. Uh, and that was Charlie, we brought Charlie Adam in purely because of my relationship with Rangers at the time. We, we, we tried to sign Alan Gow and Gow's had turned us down and gone to Norwich. So I rang Andrew Dixon and said, have you got anyone else? Because I said to the, the, the chair to Carl, See, we're going to need to bring someone in, Carl, because you're going to get hammered for not supporting Tony Parks and we're in danger of being sucked into the relegation zone. You, you need somebody. Uh, and I rang Andrew Nixon and he says, well, we've got this lad, Charlie Adam. He said he's a bit overweight. He's got a wonderful left foot. Uh, the, the Rangers fans aren't having him. He said they're, 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 they're on his back because he's not the most mobile of players. Uh, you can have you can have him. He, he's the same wage as Gowser. You can have him till the end of the season. So I mentioned it to Tony. Tony Parks was like, well, yeah, anyone's better than nobody type, type thing. And if he's been playing the games he has and he's played for Scotland, he's not going to be you know, he should be able to do the, the, the championship and make a difference. And his first game, he got sent off, Charlie, for stamping <laughs> on Richie Wellens. Now, Richie had been at Blackpool and left Blackpool to go to Oldham and was the pantomime villain, Richie. So stamping on Richie Wellens, endeared him straight away to the Blackpool faithful. So he, he served a three-match ban, then came back and a couple of games later, he scored the winner at Preston, which, you know, Blackpool-Preston arch-rival. So he, he went down in Blackpool folklore uh, long before Ian, Ian came in. So we'd, we'd and because the, the hatred of Blackpool and Preston is so much, and we'd beaten uh, Preston, they'd done a Deepdale revisited um, evening in the summer to raise some money for a uh, local hospice, And Ollie went along as, as the guest, and he said, I've watched these the games. And he sat and watched the full 90 minutes of Blackpool beating Preston at Deepdale. And Charlie was superb, and he kept saying to me, we've got to get him, we've got to get him, we've got to get him, we've got to get him. So we had the conversation with Rangers. Uh, it was half a million quid they wanted for a transfer fee. And, and we, we got it all agreed. And the Latvian was going to fund it um, because he would put a, a pot of cash together. After he'd got over the fact that he that Carl had appointed Ian um, without consulting him, and he, he'd got like a 25% stake in the club and was, was pretty much funding the football side, Carl had gone off and appointed Ian Holloway, who Valeria didn't, didn't want at the time because Valeri was a very very loyal man, and Ollie had left Plymouth to go to Leicester, and it had not worked. And he was like, "Oh, why do we need this man? He, he's not he's not loyal." And and so Ian Ian had showed him all the, the players he'd worked with to, to to make a profit on him, and we said, all "Right." So, child, so Ollie had uh, agreed it with Valeri that we're going to sign it. I'd agreed with um, Andrew Dixon and uh, and. Martin Bain I think it was at Rangers at the time that we'd pay this half a million quid and then Owen Oyston got involved and said that no we're not spending half a million quid on Charlie Adam Uh, he won't go anywhere else, he wants to come to us I will ring, and Owen never got involved in football, he said I will ring Rangers and I will tell them, then we'll sign him on a free transfer and if we get promoted to the Premier League I'll give him two million quid (laughs) with a sell-on. Now, nobody thought Blackpool would get promoted and, and I think even if we could bring that. If Owen ever says he thought that, he, he'd, be, he'd be telling lies. So I then rang, uh, I said, no, Owen, you stay out of it. I said, I'll, I'll ring them back. So I rang them back and said, listen, really, really sorry to do this, but deal's off. We'll, we'll, we'd like it to take him, but we want him on a free transfer with a sell-on and if we get promoted, you'll get two million quid. Well, you can imagine the reaction arranges when you've agreed 500 grand for this stupid offer and... Um, Carl had, had, had snapped and, and stormed off. Owen was, I'm I'm the major shareholder, not Carl. Carl's an employee. Carl will do as I say. Ignore what Valeri says. I've got the 75% shares. And so it, it, it was all off. So, so I'm like, and I've said to Ollie, like, this, this, is, this is happening with Charlie. And Ollie's gone nuts. It's all kicked off. And long story short, then Preston were, were, were at the table wanting to sign him. And Kenny Moyes, who was Charlie's agent, was out in Preston, with, out with Preston pre-season in Austria, because Kenny does, um, does pre-season trips as well as his agency. So he was pushing Charlie, who's then gone out. It's like he'd gone out to maybe Holland with Rangers for pre-season to, to get the deal done with Preston. And we ended up signing Charlie. He, they, Rangers flew back to play Arsenal in the Emirates Cup at the Emirates. Charlie missed the game. Got the train up to Oldham ironically. Um, where we were playing a pre-season friendly, and, and there's a tale about playing Oldham in a pre-season friendly as well. Um, we, we, we played Oldham in a pre-season friendly because Ian Holloway Ian Holloway's brother is, is an actor, and he, he'd he seen that he'd, he'd been at the Oldham Coliseum Theatre early early um, not long after he'd taken over. And uh, Ollie wanted to go to the Oldham Coliseum to see Derrick Akora, and said, can we play Aldermar Rochdale on this date? Because I want to go and see Derrick Akora." <laughs> and, and so we, we signed Charlie in the the, the youth officer uh, agreed terms with Charlie at the youth officer, at Aldermen, signed him the next, the, 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 I think on the Monday. Uh, and, and we went to Derrick Akora in the evening with Ian Holloway. So, you know, sort of mad, madness with Ian. He, he would he would be watching a Champions League game and would say, he'd ring me and say, Right, can you are you watching this? I said, yeah, yeah, I'm watching it. He said, Well, I think we should play like this on Saturday. So well, Gaffer, with all due respect, we're not Barcelona, we're not Real Madrid. And and he would, he, you know, we went we played then. and some of the things he did, some of his these his team meetings would go on hours. We used to have food brought from the stadium to the training ground. And it would arrive just before 12, and we'd not gone out and trained because Ollie was still doing his team meeting. And he got to the stage, you know, he'd be talking about what had been on Jeremy Kyle. It, 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 was, it got really, really random at times. And we, we played um, Derby on Boxing Day the year we went up at, uh, at, at Derby, and we were in the Hilton East Midlands, and we were having a team meeting before the game. And uh, he'd set his team up, with little cuddly teddy bear things that you could buy, that you'd buy a couple of quid for a charity. And he'd set them up against another team of Santa Bears, and was basically going through each of the the opposition as uh, that was Darby's team, and he got to Robbie Savage and he's volleyed this teddy bear that was Robbie Savage out of the room into the into the reception area, basically calling Robbie Savage a fraud. Um and we went on and won the game two 0 uh, You know, we we he'd do things like random things like his assistant manager Steve Thompson is a great fella, super fella. He, he was the the glue that held it all together on on the coaching field, and, and was the, a great go between between the manager and the players. He'd set up a training session on a Thursday. Ollie had, ollie had uh, drive maybe drive up from Bristol on a Thursday, and ollie had said, No, no, I've had a crap drive up this morning. We we're, we're not training. We're going to go for a, we're going to go for a walk and a bacon sandwich. Now we. We'd walk out over the region into a greasy spoon, and the lads would sit there and have a bacon sandwich or a, a you know a bit of breakfast. No training, that, and that'd be it. And we'd be like, wow, you know, we we played. Um, we we're down to play Preston uh, in the return game at, at uh, Bloomfield Road, and the, the Sandcastle Water Park on the Promenade in Blackpool. He, he always wanted to go in it, so I'd made the, made a couple of calls to say, you know, anyway, we could get Ollie and the lads in, you know, before you open during school holidays. And they agreed to stay open on Monday for an exclusive use for us. And it was right next door to a casino. So I said, all right, Gaffer, I've sorted it. We've, we've got the um, use of the sandcastle from 9 till 12. And then we'll have lunch in the casino next door. And we could have got a bit of something to do some fluttering there in the afternoon. Brilliant. So he's, he's come up and we've got sole use of the sandcastle water park for three hours. Got showered, changed, gone next door for um, a, a bite to eat in a casino. And we spent the afternoon in a casino. I been home from work and my missy said, you know, How, how's today been? And I said, oh, you know, you, you'll never guess. Said, well, what do you mean? I said, oh, I said, I was at the Sandcastle this morning for three hours and I've been in the casino all afternoon. And you're like, yeah, good one. No, no, that's exactly what we did. You know, and then we won the game on the weekend. Now, some of the things we did with him, he was, I mean, brilliant. Absolute brilliant man manager.
0: Well, we're back again. We had so much fun talking yesterday. We thought... Let's go into another day of recording because I don't know that you would have had enough day, Matt, to talk to me enough time in one day to talk to me because we're we're both quite prolific talkers.
1: <laughs> so it's a good job that Tippy's not involved in this; otherwise, it would become like a it could become a box set.
0: <laughs> it would. I could just put my feet up and let the two of you go at it, probably, and it would be fine. I, I,
1: absolutely, I, I did speak to him on my way in this morning, um, so we, we had a good forty minutes on the way in this morning. Uh, just chatting football and, and stories, and, and uh, one thing I meant to ask him is: Is, is Joe McCree still there? Um, Joe McCree at Dungannon, is he still kicking about?
0: Yeah, uh, he's still involved yeah. with the youth setup.
1: Right, I came across him when we came with Blackpool over for a pre-season trip, and he was the one that um, that we were based in Dungannon, and he he picked us up on a on a beaten up old coach and ferried us around and arranged for training and use of swimming pools and, and all that. So I think he was a, a great guy, a great guy who was, you know, knew his football inside out. And, you know, it was it was, it was good to sort of, I've, I've probably lost touch with him over the last few years, but um, you know, quite a wealth of knowledge he has of, of football in general. One of one of football's good guys, isn't he, Joe?
0: Oh, Joe's fantastic. When mm-hmm. Dungannon Swifts won the League Cup a couple of years ago, his son was actually the manager at that stage of the club. Rod- Rodney. Rodney, Rodney. son, isn't he? Well remembered, manager. yeah. So I I went into the stand and interviewed Joe. You know, your son's just won the cup, and this is the the club that you've been involved with for so many years. You know, how do you feel? And he's like, "Well, I'm still the better manager."
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think he probably did everything at that club. He um, was he reminded me a bit of myself when I was at Blackpool. I did everything. Obviously, didn't manage the team, but you know, he was he was you know he was driving the coach. He was serving the beer after the game. He was dishing out the the food. You know, but one of one of the, one of the game's good guys, and uh, you know, he, he got did he get some uh, recognition and OBE or an MBE or something?
0: He did. I can't remember which letters he got, but he did get some.
1: Yeah, yeah. well, you know, good, good guy, good guy, and I said knows his football.
0: No, he, he definitely does. I've been enjoying those stories you were telling us about Ian Holloway.
1: Uh, oh, Ollie, oh, I mean, the, the, we we could do we could do a whole week on on Ollie. I mean, the nobody expected us to get to have the season that we did. Uh, and and it, it, it was bizarre. Um, I mean, he was he was based uh, his, his family are based in Bath, I think they still are, uh, and he split his time um, with his wife split her time as well. So she'd come up to Blackpool for a week, and the, the, you know they wouldn't they wouldn't see us, and she'd she'd be at the team hotels, and she'd be she she travel to some games on the team coach, which was hilarious with the lads because. You know, you know what footballers like with Sky. Um, they'd be asking her to turn the X Factor off and put one of the adult channels on, shall we say, and uh, <laughs> telling her that one of the one of the one of the channels was the Championship goals roundup and th- things of like that nature. I mean, it was you know, you're looking back and you know, a manager having his wife on the bus is something really, really alien. But it was something that we we accepted and got on with, and he he, he was he was brilliant. Um so I mean, we, we played. Uh, we got to the playoffs and we, we, we'd, we'd got um, drawn against Forest, and um, we beat them two one at home. Uh, and Billy Davis was the manager of Forest, and he was going down the tunnel, basically saying, "Job done, job done. We'll turn these over at home. You know, yeah, two one down. We've got the away goal, and we'll we'll, we'll do them at, at, the, at the City Ground." Um, and we had, like I said before, we had a, a skeleton staff. There was Ian, Steve Thompson, his, his assistant. Uh, the physio uh, probably one of the worst analysts that you could ever have I've uh, had called George who was an intern because um, um, we analysts would just come in so he had we we, we didn't know how to use it but we, we, we had an analyst who travelled with us uh, a kit man who was part time uh, it was a part time taxi driver the kit man and he would he would do airport runs the kit man he would he'd pick up a fare uh, in Blackpool 2nd Manchester Airport and would call in Part of his service was he would call in at the ground and put the washer the washer on with some of the kit, and you know, people would think it was amazing that, that, that the kit man was the, their taxi driver. Um, so we had a part time kit man, um, and that was pretty much it. It was a real, real tiny staff. And uh, we've gone down to the, the city ground and we trained at Derby's training ground the day before. Obviously, the hatred between Derby and Forest, um, they had one of our ex players, Sean Barker, was um was there, club captain, was injured. And there, I don't know if it was assistant manager of our first team called Andy Garner, used to play for Blackpool. So we'd, we'd set it up there and we'd gone to Derby's training ground, which was as far away from Blackpool's training ground as you could possibly get in the sense of, you know, they were like bowling greens, that it was more dressing rooms than we knew what to do. We could have probably have one each. Um, yeah. And and we, we, we were really, really at it. We were really, really sharp. Uh, we didn't change the hotel that we that we stayed at. We stayed at the East Midlands Hilton. Um, a friend, he became a friend of mine. A guy called Martin Robinson was manager of the Hilton East Midlands, and he always looked after us. Um, you know, it wasn't the five star luxury that that we'd stay at Burnley now, but it was. He looked after the players. He looked after the staff. Um, Plenty of tales about staying in the East Midlands Hotel for, for another time, but we stayed there and we've done everything that we would have normally done for a league game. And we we got to, to the, the city ground and their match day program. They had a, a double page poster pull out um, in the middle of the program of Team Billy, and it was uh, Billy Davis and his backroom staff, which covered you know four pages of, of B5. And we're like, look at this, lads! Look at this! And we 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 got talking. Um, I got talking to uh, my counterpart, and she'd been saying that that they'd been measured up for the suits uh, for the for the final of that week because the turnaround time was, in, as you know, in the playoffs is less than a week. You know, I think we 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 played the game on a Monday, and the and the, the playoff final was the, the following week. So they they'd, they'd been measured up for the suits. They'd booked the. Oakley Court Hotel in Windsor for the team to stay in. They'd put their the tickets because the tickets, the, tickets the, the, the Football League would send the, the playoff final tickets to the club who were at home in the second leg. So they'd put the entire tickets onto uh, their ticketing system, which was different to the system that we were using. Uh, they'd, they'd ordered coaches, they'd, they'd got supporters' coaches on hold. And um I'm, I'm telling the lads and, and Ollie this before the game, and Ollie's going absolutely nuts about it. how disrespectful, you know. You know, because Blackpool had experienced something similar in ninety-six. They played Bradford in the playoffs, beat Bradford 2 0 at Valley Parade and came back in the match day programme, put you know, details for Wembley, wrote to Wembley, there were coaches and, and did you know Bradford pinned that up on the dressing room wall and won the game three nil. So we were we were right at it and and it was one of the the best nights of football that i've ever experienced and we, we we won the game the atmosphere was brilliant we'd gone down a goal early rob Shaw scored and uh, and we've come back and we've come back and then we've 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 beaten them finally beaten them and we we we're, we're all in your face sort of billy davis type thing and cheer up billy davis all those sort of songs and we got back to the dressing room and <laughs> we said right let's let's get the beer in let's get the champagne in and so of said to, to Forest, who were pretty, as you can imagine, they've just lost a playoff semi final, a chance to get to the final and ultimately back to the Premier League. Um, have you, can we buy some champagne and some beer? And um, they went, Well, how are you paying for it? So I was like, everyone's like looking at each other and said, Well, you know, I think we're going to struggle. So I managed to get hold of Carl Oyster and said, Carl, we need to get some beer and some champagne. You know, we're going to Wembley Clef and he went, "Mm." well, um, I've not got any money. I said, well, you've got a club credit card. Give me your club credit card. He went, no, no, I've not got it with me. Typical Carl. He'd not, you know, he was always, trousers on fire when it came to, you know, he was always sort of... And So we ended up having a bit of a whip round with a couple of directors, and we got about 120 quid, and it bought us something like three bottles of Prosecco and and 20 bottles of Bud. It It was bizarre. So we've, we've gone to the dressing room. and You've wasted the prosecco, and you're like, it was like one bottle of Bud each. So we've we've sort of right, okay. There's a bit of, a bit of an anticlimax. So we've come off the uh, all back on the bus to go back to um, back to Blackpool, and we pulled up at um, like a, a petrol station with a cash point, and all the all the lads are in the Blackpool tracksuits, and they're all going to the cash machine. To get like 50 quid out or whatever and go and buy a load of drink to drink on the bus. So by the time we've got back to Blackpool, the, the, the bus is in the right state and you know we're we're all we're all over the place. And so the players had gone kicked on out into Blackpool. It was like probably three in the morning and and I'm sort of then left with I've got 30, 39,000 tickets on the coach to get into the stadium and then prep for a playoff final because the Carl Oyster wouldn't allow us to make the mistakes that Forrest had done. We, we had no preparations for 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 anything other than the fact that we'd done a, a playoff final in 2007 when we beat Yeovil to, to get promoted into the championship. So we, we, we've we started this sort of process and I've got into work early on the, the, the following morning and the chairman said oh, well, where are you up to everything? I said well it's pretty much done and he said what do you mean it's pretty much done? I said well Forrest have done it all so now I'm just taking over their bookings, I've taken over the hotel, I've taken over this. And he went nuts. He went nuts. He said, what are you doing? He that well, I'm not spending that much. And I'm like, you, you've got the richest game in in football, in the world of football uh, at the weekend. And and he was like, well, I'm not sure we should stay at that. So it's the same hotel we stayed at, ironically, when we were promoted from uh, League One. I said, so th- that's no different. He said, the, the ticketing system, you're going to have to, have a ticketing system because you can't sell thirty-nine thousand tickets yourself in, within in less than a week. You know, no. you just physically <laughs> you know. And 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 the bizarre thing was, we had our supporters saying, "Well, I want to sit in the same seat I sat at when we played um, Yeovil." And we were at the opposite end of the stadium to where we were the the, the first time. <laughs> so, you know, so we, we 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 you know we we we, we dealt with it, and he finally came around to accepting that that's what we we're doing. And, and the lads were all adamant; they wanted new suits again. And So they are saying, well, we need to get this Taylor, we want Hugo Boss, we want this and, the, and the, the chairman was like, no we had Marks and Spencer suits for the playoff final in 2007 get Marks and Spencer in for the playoff suits this year and you're like so we, we, we ended up getting Marks and Spencer, the, the, the women from Marks and Spencer came down and we all, we all got new suits that ended up on the P11D as a benefit by the way, they, they weren't just donated, even, the players had to pay tax on it, and um, so, and then we, we got to, we went down to, um, to, to Windsor for the, for, the, for the final, and um, we, we trained at uh, Bisham Abbey. We trained at Bisham Abbey the, the, the day before, and Charlie Adam, um, we, we, I mean, Charlie was brilliant, you know. The, the, the training was really, really bright, and the lads were that confident. I mean, you've not seen the lads that confident um, before. And they were messing about on the last day of training. Um, so we we're messing about, and Charlie's put a ball about 25 yards out, free kick, and just smacked it into the top corner, and then just walked off the bus in his kit and sort of like smirking with everyone. And we're all like, Charlie, you know, just leave that for tomorrow. He I'll do the same tomorrow if I get the chance. And we are like, no, knowing Charlie, he'll put it in the wall or it'll go in Rosehead or whatever. Uh, and obviously he, he did. But we we'd, we'd got down to breakfast on the morning of the game and, and, Ian and his wife, but his wife was was with him at the, the the hotel. Ian and his wife were sat there and I said, you know, Gaffer, how are you feeling?" And, I've had the best night's sleep ever. I was like, really? He went, Yeah, because I've been sleeping in Billy Davis's bed. He said <laughs> <laughs> I was like fair. And, and we we got to the game and it, it was it was red hot. It was like hundred and hundred and two, hundred and three degrees pitch side. And it was, it was, we, we were three, three, two up going into half time, and we were just never, ever going to lose it. Uh, and then the, the sheer relief at the final whistle that we'd done won it. And I, it was only when we'd got back in the dressing room that the reality of what that group of players had achieved had, had hit home. So we, Ollie had win or lose. Ollie had said, Win or lose, I want a party um, in, in London as, as a thanks after the game. Well, trying to arrange a hotel in central London for 200 people at short notice because I wasn't able to reserve anything um, it was a challenge. So we'd, we'd got the um, the Royal Garden at Kensington um, and we'd done that and the guy who, we would never stayed at the, the Royal Garden. It was far too fancy for us to ever stay at. Uh, and Martin, the, the manager of the uh, Royal Garden, cracked on, he was a Blackpool fan. But I've, everywhere I've been since, He's been a Shrewsbury fan. He's been a Burnley fan. <laughs> so we've got there, and we've got a, a, a party, a party, on and it was, it was players and close family, um, key key staff from the club, uh, and the, the Oysters and, and everything. So we, we've we've got there, and we've got the playoff trophy, and we're all euphoric. We've all had a good drink, and so we've gone down, and uh, I said, Carl, you're gonna have to put a free bar on here. So he's like, well, what do you mean? I said, you've just won 90 million quid. You've won the jackpot. You, you give these lads a free bar. It's the least they can do. And he, yeah, I'll put five grand behind the bar. And I was like, oh, no, five That's grand, incredible, bro. isn't it? Well, for, for 150, 200 people. And he said, yeah, yeah, that, that'll do. That'll get them all a drink. I said, yeah, but it should be a free, free for the night. So... We put this five grand behind the bar. Ten minutes later, the door time manager, that, that that five grand's, it it's, it's finished. So you, I'll put another five. I said, Carl, just put 50 grand behind the bar. And then when that's done, we can see what time it is and we can see the state of everybody. Uh, and you can sort of caveat it that I'll, I'll let them, a wines and spirits. But when they start getting giddy doing the shots and everything else, then then it's time for, for, for you to, to say no. And eat. He reluctantly um, agreed it, and we, we we put the bar on. And so Tippy was there with us. Uh, him and his him and his wife Becky and, uh, were with us, and um, and George, and we we're in this this huge function room, and and so we're, we're all we've all had a drink. And uh, my best mate from school had been to the final, and he came came for a beer afterwards before I headed back up up north. And and Ollie got on the microphone, and and like we're like oh, here we go again, you know we we'd had. 50 games of him doing his speeches, and and the speech he gave like left Tippy and my mate Johnny sort of like wanting to run through a brick wall for him, and like the rest of us are all like, oh, no, just you know, but but his his, his motivational was was unbelievable. And then we we I mean the, the night carried on and was you can imagine how how much of a mess it was, and the the one of the memories for me from that night is I ended up in a in a small family room. <laughs> um with so there was a double bed and two really really small single beds and it was a tiny tiny family room and tippy ended up in my suite because i i'd booked the hotel and i'd put two two rooms under my name and because tippy had got there with becky before me um they 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 nicked my suite and i ended up in the little family in the poxy family room um and he and we've, we've got must have been about four-ish when we've gone to bed and i've taken the playoff final trophy with me. So I can't lose it. Can't can't have it lost at end So I woke up about it must be half six, seven o'clock. Um and there's this trophy in front of the team then I think, well, what's that? sort of like and it, it the reality then dawned of what we'd achieved and we we've got back up up to up to Blackpool and I think uh, me and Tippi, typically me and Tippy went out again. Uh, we took the playoff trophy with us out into St Anne's because I lived in St Anne's and had an had a night hour and I don't, I don't know, people were you know, and then the the the, uh, the the parade on the on the on the Monday um, was was something else. it was like one hundred and fifty thousand people all across the the promenade in Blackpool. It was you know it was something that you know never ever forget. And then the Premier League turned up, and with their sort of six or seven senior executives from the Premier League, from commercial, media, facilities, etc., wanting to see their counterparts at Blackpool, and there was me and the chairman and the chairman said, right, well, if you don't need anything from me, I'll leave you all to it. And I spent the day then with the, the Premier League, so the, the media, secretary, facilities, you know, you name it, commercial, I, and I was just sort of like uh, baffled. And, and, um, that that summer, we we, we we were building for the Premier League. We, we had to, we, the stadium wasn't going to be finished because we had to put a temporary stand up. We had to play the first game away from home. Uh, I had a week away with with Tippy and three other lads going around the 18 county grounds for, for for charity at the same time as trying to plan fixtures and deal with Premier League and emails and it was like my annual holiday was uh, a week touring the cricket grounds, working and, and getting into some more drunken states with Tippy uh, and the guys, uh, and we 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 got to the we got to the season uh, and you know we we, were, we won four nil away at Wigan first game of the season and we were top of the table at five o'clock and. And it was like, what's what's going on? And we came back to reality with a bump. The next week we were we got beat six at Arsenal. Um, but, you know, and, and Ollie didn't change. You know, all through that season, he was, you know, some of the rants he'd go on in the press, he was, you know, you put him into YouTube and his, his press conferences were gold. Oh, his box so, office. Oh, you, you could ask him, you know, what, what you think, what he was thinking about, you know, what happened in X Factor on Saturday night? And he would go off on a... On a fifteen-minute rant about X Factor and and reality TV, and you know he he was brilliant, but he wasn't given the support he needed by the chairman. Um, You know, we 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 got to the January and we were in a healthy position, and we 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 missed an opportunity. Um, We could have we we Matt Jiltz got injured, and and Richard Kingston was our our number two, and and Richard wasn't good enough. He'd had a great World Cup with Ghana. But wasn't good enough, and uh, we could have signed Shea Given on loan from Man City, but he was on ninety grand a week, and City wanted us to cover the full ninety grand a week, and there was no way that Oyston uh, was ever going to sanction that when his highest paid player, player was on probably twelve. Um, and so we went with Kingston, and, and you know we, we we were too we were too naive and gung ho at times, which which saw us get relegated, and we you were... Know, we we. Went into we played United last game of the season having to win at Old Trafford to stay up and we were 2-1 up uh, and, and we're still going forward and then just got picked off and got beat 4-2 um, and you know sort of like dealing with that and then we got to the following season we got to the final again when we got beaten by West Ham in the championship final we replicated everything we'd done the year before so the, the Marks and Spencer soups the same hotel you know we, we, we did everything but um, you know again he wasn't backed had he been backed, I think we'd have we'd have gone straight back up. Um, there were certain things that, you know, you could see that, you know, undersoil heating with the only club in the Premier League never to t- three games postponed for not having undersoil heating. Uh, you have to have your stadium hardwired so T V crews just literally turn up, plug in and away you go. And he refused to do that. And it, 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 it just became it became a fight. And I think Ollie then lost, lost the fight and he he went on to to Crystal Palace. Um, we sh- probably should have given the job to Steve Thompson, who was his number two, who got what Blackpool was about, got the club, got the ownership. Um, but we didn't. We, we went for Michael Appleton because uh, he'd done a fantastic job in administration at Portsmouth. and He thought, having, having worked at Portsmouth in administration, that coming to a club that had just dropped out of the Premier League and got to the playoff final the year before, that he would have a, a fist of it and realise quickly that there was less resources and facilities at Blackpool than there was at Portsmouth in administration and he probably like I think he lasted six weeks and went to Blackburn and then Tomo took up the baton again and was overlooked and we, we, we interviewed uh, Owen Coyle and the, but Owen Coyle's agent had had a previous fallout with Carl Oyston so that was never going to get anywhere Sean O'Driscoll, Billy Davis you know they, we, we used to interview half a dozen people and we gave the job to Paul Ince who, who again? Socially, Ince, brilliant, absolute brilliant, great company off the field, um, and and he came in and he, he studied the ship and we set off the first full season that Incy was in charge really, really well. Um, somehow with a and again he wasn't backed. I remember meeting him in we were out in Portugal for the Football League conference, which a bizarre thing. The Football League used to have their annual conference in Vilamora. It was like a stag do for for three days. Um, rather than just have it over here. Um, we met We met up with Incy, uh, his, his place out there, and he wanted to sign X, Y and Z player. And, and Oyston sat there nodding and then in the taxi going back to the hotel, he said, well, I'm not, not going to sign any of those because they're going to cost too much money. And you think, you know, this is only going to end one way. Uh, Incy then left and, and Barry Ferguson came in um, and got a lot of time for Fergie and uh, he brought in Bob Malcolm, um, as his number two and, and Malky Thompson as his, um, as his first team coach great guys I mean I've, again the, the story about um, which involved Burnley we, we, Blackpool played um, Burnley on I think it was Good Friday uh, at Bloomfield Road and Fergie was manager and Stephen Dobby was substitute and he was, they wanted him to come on, and we were losing the game. And we'd had issues with tennis balls coming on from the fans in protest and the and things at Blackpool were turning sour, though. And I think Dobbs had refused to go on or had said something to Bob Malcolm. And Bob's a big fella, and Bob had took exception to it. And they're, they're like fighting on, on the touchline. It's live on Sky. You think, oh, no. Oh, no. And then, um, Got to get to the end of the season, and I, I, I got the Shrewsbury offer. Um, Fergie was never going to stay. Blackpool was only going to go one way, uh, and I, I uh, headed down to to sunny Shropshire. Uh, having not done the due diligence I probably should have done, I was just desperate to get out of Blackpool. But I had a great time at Shrewsbury. I walked into Shrewsbury. We had five players under contract, no manager, um, uh, an assistant manager. Who had been caretaker that desperate wanted the job, but I think by his own admission wasn't ready for it. Uh, so the, the the chairman was was keen on on a couple of people. I said you need to see Mickey Mellon, someone I'd known from when he was at Fleetwood. Uh, I'd met him at Leeds earlier in the season, and he he sort of his attitude had, had changed, and he would really impressed me with what he'd done outside of football in terms of man management, engaging with people, etc. Um, went to went to Shrewsbury and said, right, you need to see Mickey Mallon before you make a decision. See Mickey, you'll be impressed. So I said to Mick, I said, would you be interested? Yeah, yeah, I'd be interested. So they, they had a five-hour interview, the chairman and, and Mick, and they've come out and Mickey's rang me. He's gone, Jesus, he can talk. And whilst he's on the phone to me, the chairman of Shrewsbury's left me a message going, Jesus, he can talk. <laughs> uh, and we, we had a, a fantastic year. there. So we had five players under contract, appointed Mickey and we. we we basically paid two players up, and we we're left with three players. And we must have, and I'm going to call it interviewed. We, we recruited a full squad, but we interviewed players because we wanted to make sure that we had a group that bought into what I wanted to do community-wise, and what bought into what Mickey wanted to do on the field with his work ethic. But Mickey, uh, like me, we lived in Blackpool at the time, and um, he bought into to the Shrewsbury the, the culture which I thought brilliant I'll just go and do it. in Shrewsbury I'd do exactly what I did in Blackpool and this will be easy not realising that it's a completely demo- different demographic the people of a middle England market town's mentality is completely different to that of a, a seaside northwest town um, so I learned quickly I, I, I went out on my first first week first or second week I went out to see the fans to see what they wanted and uh, I've gone with arms armed with facts and figures and budgets and you know, number of players used, all, all the sorts of things that you'd think a football fan would want to know, having the club been relegated the previous season, and he's sort of like, right, well with fresh brew, Mickey Mellon's about this, I'm about that. And so I've got there and I've bought everyone there must have been twenty people, bought them all a pint, bit of bit of food, and I'm thinking, right, here we go. Right, lads, what's the what's the um, the biggest issue you've got? And I'm thinking relegation. No players com- got it completely wrong. But the biggest issue they had was their identity because they traditionally wear blue and amber stripes, and that when they'd moved to the new stadium, they changed the club badge and they wanted to go back to the previous badge. And I'm sort of sat there and I'm thinking, you've just been relegated to the bottom tier of English football. And I said, so Glad you've just been relegated to the bottom tier of English football. I mean, yeah, yeah, that happens in football. We get that, your you promotion and relegation, but we wear blue and amber stripes and we want our traditional badge bag. So we, I can do that. That's that's easy. And they went, well, you, you won't be able to do it. You won't be able to convince the chairman that we want to do it. And we've heard this all before that we, you'll get the, the, the kit in, you'll get the following season's kit in for the last day of the season. We've heard it all before and no one's ever delivered it. I thought, well, that's just basics. And then I've gone back in the chairman, how and I've done this, and it, he was you know, sort of then sold him the the benefits of changing and, and everything. That. And we went on a on a on a on a journey that we were promoted the first time of asking, playing some great stuff. And we we played Chelsea in the uh, Capital One Cup, and Trussie's ground holds just on, just under ten thousand. And uh, I said, well. Wouldn't it be great if we had two temporary stands in the corner of the ground to get us over ten thousand? Well, I'm not paying that. You, you won't make any money on it, and you wouldn't in normal times. You wouldn't because the cost of the putting a temporary structure up, you know, would, would have been prohibitive. But Capital One were the sponsors, and they wanted the the um, publicity of, of delivering. So we spoke to Capital One and the AFL, and we got two temporary stands up in the corner and got the attendance to I think it was ten thousand one hundred, ten thousand two hundred. And, and got beat 2-1 against Chelsea and it was a fantastic night and, you know, it was something that, you know, but it, again, it was, you know, going back to Joe McCree at, at Dungannon, I found myself at Shrewsbury because they wanted real ale on the on the concourse of kiosk. So I found myself on the first day of the season pulling pints because, you know, I wanted to, I did a deal with a local brewery and we got the beer on and I'm st- stood serving pints. At least
0: you're you good know, at that. You know, you've got plenty of experience by the sounds of it. <laughs> yeah, uh, well,
1: drinking and uh, yeah to be fair I, I, yeah but you know i mean but again it was giving them something that they wanted and and trying to sort of make it feel like it was their club because I, I remember going down when when we announced that mickey was being appointed and i um it was before i was formally um in post i was working my notice and i got a taxi from the train station to the stadium and i said to the cabbie, um, you know, do you, 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 you go and watch the games? No, not anymore. The, since they moved out of town, I have no interest. The, the complete disconnect. I think there's nothing. There's nothing for forty-five minutes. There's, you know, you've got Tranmere to the north, Crewe and Stoke to, to the to the east. Nothing to the west and to the south. The nearest clubs, Wolves. So you've got a massive catchment area. I'm thinking this this isn't right. And so we, we we got out into the community and we we went out and did. We, we took Mickey Mellon out into schools to do, you know, he was he was getting asked better questions by the school kids for his press conferences than he was from the lads at the the local paper and the local radio and, and we, I mean, never forget my, my first day there when I was being when I was being uh, interviewed local local paper and, and I'm a massive believer in, in in clubs having links with their local media, it's massive, you know, for me not so much of the Premier League, you still need to maintain that for, if you ever drop out of the Premier League but you know, it's free advertising. The back page and the inside two pages, they're yours. If you've got a good relationship with the local paper, you can push out your agenda. And, and if you build the trust and don't get me wrong, if they if they breach that trust, then that's a different story. But the, the lad from the um, from BBC Radio Shropshire was called James Bond. Wow. And he signed his texts off 007. Legend. And I was like, what have I walked to here? You know, and he's and he's. i sort of like, great to see you. Um, I'll I'll speak to you soon. Double O Seven. I'm like 007, So I'd said to the chairman, "Who's this? Whose number's this?" He went, "Oh, that's Bond." I went, "Bond." He went, "Yeah, Bond. <laughs> James Bond." Bond. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. oh, yeah, and yeah. You know, so I mean, but then um, so we we got promoted. Um, I mean, the chairman at Shrewsbury's a real character. He's he's. Um, He's Mr. Shrewsbury, he's in his, he's in his 70s now and um, up until probably when when Mickey left, Mickey Mellon left and I'd left, we used to play on a Friday night before home games, we played five-a-side or seven-a-side, they had like um, some uh, seven-a-side courts at the side of the ground and, and we'd go on there every Friday and the, the, the chairman would play. And the chairman would pick the teams and the, the teams would always be very, very one-sided to the chairman. Of, and as you probably guessed, my playing days are, are long behind me, but there'd be me, the chairman and the manager. And then probably five um, of the really, really good players from the who were on the staff. Uh, so some of the backroom staff, some of the catering staff. And, and our goalkeeper was, um, was a waiter. Uh, so come back to a tale. Remind me to tell you about the tale and a waiter with Ian Holloway pre-season. Um, and, and a waiter, and every home game, the chairman would make sure that, that the waiter was was playing five a side, and would pay him a couple of hours, as, you know, even though if there was no functions on, he would play him because he was such a good keeper, and we always won like 15, 16, 17, 18, one or two every game, and, and he, would wear, he would play wide right, and it had like, almost like a, a, an admiral tracksuit from the 60s, or oh, he probably wasn't, he'd probably say it was retro. Uh, and he was like he had a force field around him because no one would ever tackle him. And, and he had one trick, and that was to dip his shoulder. And everyone knew what he was going to do, and always the lads on the team opposite always sort of, whether or not they deliberately fell for it, but he'd get his shot across, uh, get his crossover. And and, and we, then afterwards, we'd all have a the, the chairman to go on, but we'd all have a... Uh, A bite to eat and a a drink Watching the the Friday night game But the the tale about Ian Holloway and uh, a waiter We'd gone, so we'd been promoted to the Premier League And we were asked to enter the the Devon Cup pre-season Typical Oyster They paid for your accommodation All you had to do was pay for your coach travel down there So Carl's gone, yeah, yeah, we'll do that And the tournament was, was, it was poor The standard of opposition was poor (laughs) <laughs> uh, the training pitches weren't great but in typical blackpool fashion the lads got on and, and did it but we had an odd number of lads for whatever reason I might mean, someone was injured or, or whatever we had an, an odd number for training and he wanted um, he wanted an even number so I remember at the, at the breakfast time that one of the waiters had said to him that uh, you know how did he go about getting a trail because he fancied himself as a player and he was like have you got any boots with you he said well I've got some in the car right you can join in training today so you've got a Premier League training and that the, the the 18th man was was a, a local waiter who was absolutely <laughs> clueless. But he, he'd do that all the time, you know. He, he would he'd do quirky stuff like that, Ollie. Um, so yeah, we had we had a waiter joining training at at, at Blackpool pre-season. I mean, we at Blackpool our pre-seasons. Uh, we went to Portugal twice. Um, which was a real sort of uh, achievement getting the chairman to fund us going away to, uh, to Portugal. But we, given that the, um, the Latvian uh, in, investment, we went to Latvia a couple of times, which was, which was a bizarre situation. First time we were based in Riga itself, which is, again, is like a, a, a stag capital. It's like Blackpool in Eastern Europe, isn't it? So we'd, we'd, we'd gone out there, which was a, an eye-opener for everybody who'd never been to Riga. I've been fortunate enough to go out before, when Valeri first got his, uh, his shares. Uh, and then the following year, we went out to a place called Ventspils, which is on the coast, three hours out of Riga. Mm-hmm. Uh, and mm-hmm. the hotel we were in was, if you can think of a, t- a stereotypical old Russian hotel, yeah. that was it. Yeah. And, and we'd gone down for breakfast this morning, uh, one morning, and the beans that they'd put on were green beans. Rather than baked beans, so we were like, no, 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 no. But I tried to show them what a baked bean was. Okay, okay. Next day they were chili be- uh, kidney beans. So the following day we've gone out to a supermarket and we've bought baked beans and took them back to the hotel. We went, no, this is what we want. And they go, ah, okay, okay, okay. The next so the next morning the baked beans are out there, but they're cold. <laughs> um, but again, we we had some we had some fun that trip. Um, we because there was not much to do. Two of the lads went out and and went to a butcher's and got a couple of pigs' heads and put them in Keegan Parker's bedroom. One of them in the toilet, so it was looking at him out of the toilet with his toothbrush in, and one they'd left left in the shower with the shower on while we've gone out training. So you can imagine the room then stinks when he comes back and Keegan Parker's head has come off, that his toothbrush is in this pig's mouth. And (laughs) and they're all chasing each other around the hotel and out into, into the grounds, but I mean, you know, that's it. Was the, it was all sort of things that Blackpool that brought everyone together. So because the chairman was the way he was, um, and the, the training ground and the trips were, were weren't great. I mean, we we went to we went to play Peterborough, um one league game, and we'd gone to check into the hotel and they hadn't received payment from the club, Um so we we'd got the club credit card and they said no, it had been declined, so they wouldn't let us check in. So Ollie was going nuts. So Ollie ended up putting the I think it was about three and a half grand the bill. He put it on his card so the lads could check in. And and what happened was the chairman and his dad were away on holiday somewhere and they'd maxed the club clouds out. There was a limit of twenty grand on the and they'd gone over the limit so no one else could do anything. And it was like found its way into the paper because there was lads then who were beginning to get a little bit disaffected and were telling the stories to the mates and their agents and got into the press and and so, well, so going going back to um, to Shrewsbury, we, we, we'd got promoted. And um, the following summer I'd, Carl rang me about going back to Blackpool with with uh, Ollie. And my wife was like, and I was like, I'll look for that, brilliant, you know, you know, put the band back together, you know, I've gone away showing that we, you know, that I could, I could do it at a club and get a club promoted. And, and she was like, well, just be careful. And, and my wife is, is the voice of reason. You know, I should listen to her a lot more than I do I have to say uh, and I was like no 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 the best thing for me it's the best thing for me it's the best thing for me I'm going to go back to Blackpool we're going to do this we're going to do that we're going to do the other and we, we, we had some real, real big rows about it and I spoke to Ollie and he was going to go back if I was going back and we'd try and get Steve Thompson back with us and um, it, it, it just went quiet so I told Carl what my terms would be which was a lot more than it was when I left and yeah, yeah, we'll do that, we'll do that. And he just went quiet. And we were, have you heard anything? Have you heard anything? And Ollie was like, no, I've not. And then the next day, they departed Neil MacDonald as manager. And we're like, well, oh, I guess that, that's that's that that's finished. That, um, but, you know, so we, uh, Shrewsbury back in League One um, was 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 going to be a challenge because, you know, the players that you, to get you out of League Two, um, there the, wasn't the... the the space in the budget because we, we we you know we we had one of the better budgets in League Two to get up, but then you're competing against the Wiggins who just dropped down with parachutes, etc. Um, and I got the opportunity, so I, I did a deal with with David Baldwin, who was the the, the CEO at the time of, of Burnley, who used to be CEO at Bradford. And Deb and I got on really really well when we were in, I was at Blackpool and he was at uh, he was at Bradford because Blackpool had gone after Phil Parkinson as manager. Um, who was manager of Bradford at the time? And the chairman of Bradford and Carl Oyston, so we said, didn't see eye to eye is an understatement. And Dave and I had to sort of surf our way through to that. And they then came after one of um, Blackpool's players on loan. And, went, and I was like, I'll try, but because it was the right move for the player, but the personalities above prevented it. So, um, Shrewsbury had a young player that Burnley were going to sign, and I put in the financial agreement between the two clubs, seeing if Dave picked up on it that he had to offer me a job before 31st of December 2015. And he rang me, he said, "I've seen that." You know, I said, "Well, I'm just glad you have." I said, "It's um, glad that you check these financial agreements." And he and he was like, "You know, why do you cover every single base?" I said, "Well, so you have to." I said come on, Dave, you've got to cover every base. You know, if Burnley win the Champions League and this player plays. You know half the games in that campaign then shrewsbury should get some money so we're trying he said oh yeah yeah do you, do you want to move to Burnley? And i said Well, I said, i'd be open to a conversation because by then my wife who worked in chester she'd moved back to warrington and and um had become she was pregnant with our with our first child and uh, i said well you know wife's pregnant during march i can't keep coming up and down to shrewsbury can't, i can't expect my wife and, and, a, and a newborn to be coming up and down to street. even though I had a lovely flat, really, really nice flat in the centre of town. It was, it was a stunning place. Um, can't expect it to do that. It's not fair. So, yeah, I'd, I'd be interested if anything came out. And he said, well, I'll set up a meeting with the chairman. And I met Mike, the chairman, and Dave um, in the October. Uh, they offered me something in the November, and I resigned. And... W- had to work my notice at Shrewsbury, which was which was a bizarre sort of feeling because you 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 having an opinion on things that you're not ever going to uh, affect longer term. Uh, came into to Burnley on deadline day in, in January 2016, uh, the day we signed James Tarkowski. So that's how long. Uh, and we were promoted at the end of that season. So my CV says that I came in Burnley were fourth in the Championship when they arrived, and they finished champions that season. But as much as I'll try and claim the credit for it, I had no impact <laughs> on of it uh, and was very much an outsider for the first six months. Uh, well, I got my head around exactly what Burnley did and what Burnley was about and how different Burnley was to Blackpool, to Shrewsbury, to Oldham. But um, it um, came about diff- by
0: you kind of being a wee bit cheeky and saying, hey, what about absolutely. me?
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Um, you know, and the fact it's an hour from home was, 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 was a bonus. Um, I, again, I came into Burnley and I couldn't believe how many free bars there were um, after promotion. <laughs> uh, I think there was there was four or five events. There was a free bar at everything, and I, sort of like, and I, I, I didn't join in because obviously we we you know, got a, at that time I had a two or three month old um, baby. But I mean, the the club is, is is it's a great club to work for. I mean that I've learned so much in my five years here about the way they treat people, the way they treat staff, first and foremost, the way they treat the staff. And it's the little things. So the gaffer here, Sean, every Christmas, every full-time member of staff gets um, a bottle, but it's a personalised bottle. Um, On your birthday, you'll get a birthday card signed by the gaffer. You know, he he always puts something insulting on mine, but that's our relationship. But the little little bits of things like that, you know, if you're a full-time member of staff, you get two season tickets. Uh, you know as a as a as an acknowledgement that you're away from, from your your family on a on a on a weekend in effect. So my, my dad loves it. Him and, him and his pal have got two season tickets and they've been watching Premier League football for the last for the That's last four yeah so he he he, 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 he thinks it's great. Um you know so little things like at the end of each season uh, the club will close all a couple of receptionists, a couple of shop staff. And the entire club community department, catering department, get on a couple of coaches and go across to, to York races for the day. Uh, and it's only, you know, a £10 ticket and a, and a coach, but it brings everyone together. And it, and, and it's little things like that. Like the Christmas party they'll, they'll do in in January, where the catering staff normally do it on a Friday before and away game. So the media lads can, can come and you think, well, you know, fair play. You, you, you treat everybody, everybody right, right. Um, it was a bit, it, 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 you know, it's a, fa- a very, very family club. that The new ownership have come in and their their, their their beliefs is all about family, you know, and Sean's beliefs, as I said uh, yesterday, Sean, is family first. And, and the new ownership, absolutely, you know, do that. Alan, the, the chairman, will, in an evening, if you need to speak to me, he'll always send a, a message first because I've, I've now got two young kids and, and a third due in, in the summer. Um, you know, he will, he will, he will ring and sort of check that it's it's safe to ring and, and you know make a, you know apologise for troubling your evening and try and get off the phone as quick as you can. Likewise, when you're travelling back from an away game and you've got a long distance, he'll get one either he will or one of his partners will ring just to chat about the game and make sure that you're okay and you drive home. You know, so driving back from from Brighton on a Friday night can be can be a lonely place in the middle of a lockdown um but you know so i I can't i can't speak highly enough of 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 the people here um it's it's i I call it a proper club with proper people um you know it it does need to you know need to push forward internationally and and globally but it's links within the community is 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 massive the burnley
0: and the community stuff is really impressive actually i printed this out because there was no way i was going to remember it but I, i had a look in the website and Facts and figures. Um, yeah. I love that there's there's numbers and people can go and actually have a look about how you're impacting. You know, thirty three thousand individuals have engaged with us over the last twelve months. The fact that you've invested nearly four million into the community, and uh, that was as of earlier on. I'm sure you know those figures yeah, are ticking I, away I... all the time.
1: Yeah, our—I our, mean, he, he left us uh, on Monday. Our, our CEO, who was responsible for, for, I think, five years within the in the in the community, maybe a longer, five or six years in the community department, absolutely fantastic, you know. And he, he was allowed, you know, a lot of clubs uh, are worried about their community department becoming unmanageable and what happens if worst-case scenarios. And, and and Neil did a fantastic job um, developing that, and, and Sarah's coming in. will we'll, we'll push it forward. You know, uh, and that that stems from the board of directors, the the manager, uh, you know, really buy into the community. You know, Sean obviously Sean's family homes down in Northampton. He has a he has a a, a, a place uh, up, up here, and you know, he, he's, he's not one to to, to shy away. He, he'll, he'll go out, and you know, where he lives is a mix between Blackburn and Burnley fans. So he, he you know, initially he got a little bit of stick. But now he's he's like he's become Sean. Uh, in 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 a lot of ways, uh, he, he gets he gets it, and and that's important that people get it. You know, he, when I went into Shrewsbury, you, you need to get it and get it quick for you to have any sort of success. You know, you need to know what what works, what doesn't work, who works. You know, and and the the biggest thing is is communication. You know, and and you know you. You, you support a base and interacting with your supporters. and Some of the things we did at Truesbury, you know, we did we, we let them do a pie idol. We called it just to to <laughs> decide what pies that were sold on the concourse. Well, why would I dictate to them what they were going to eat? They're the ones who are going to eat it. So let them pick. You know, if the if it was Nescafe Gold Blend or Kenco I'm, I'm not fussed. You you decide. You're you're the customers, and and you 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 end up seeing the the secondary spend increase. You know, we went. We we took the concourse catering in house and, and upped our, our our revenue. I mean it's a lot of hard work, but you know, it, it when, when, you know hard work should reap its rewards and you know, and, and we did that, you know. I mean funny tale at Shrewsbury again. We we had a darts event. Um because of the darts at the Winter Gardens at Blackpool and uh, the, the chief executive of the PDC used to be Chief Executive of Orion. Matt Porter, good lad, man. Um, so whenever they're in Blackpool, I'll always go and have a coffee with him and and, and catch up. And I, I said, oh, I want to do a darts event in Shrewsbury because you know this, this sleepy market town. I think once they've got a drink inside them, that it's that they come alive. And we we got Michael Van Gerwen down and, and Mark Webster, and uh, it was it was two hundred and fifty sellout on Friday night. Um, brilliant, really good night, and. and Van we turned up at the stadium um, and the guy on the reception have you got your ticket? He said, I don't need a ticket. He went, oh, no, no, the event's sold out. And he said, oh, brilliant that it's sold out. He said, "But I don't need a ticket. And he's like, no, he, sorry, mate, you can't come in unless you've got a ticket. Oh, that's awful. <laughs> he, he said, well, I'm Michael Van Gogh." He said, I don't care who you are. If you've not got a ticket, you can't come in. He said, I am the main event. Look at the poster and then look at me. And he's got, yeah, I'm really, really sorry. Really, and she's to me and he went, You've got some, you've got some great security staff there, type thing. But I mean, that, he was he was brilliant. He, he um, we, we we had him on two occasions at, at Shrewsbury, and he he was he was absolutely fantastic. I because you'd hear stories that he was arrogant and he wasn't approachable. No, he was a complete opposite. He was in he was in the kitchen with the chefs, having the banter and trying to get himself some some food and. Um, he, 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 you know, he, he was he was brilliant. It was just one of many many nights and functions that we had at Shrewsbury that were that were that, that were great. And you know, looking back at Blackpool and even you know Burnley, um, it's, I'm going to say Burnley is the most professional place I've been at because we're we're in the Premier League and times have times have changed. And you know, we but we still have some some great laughs and some. You know, there isn't a day goes past that there there isn't a bit of banter flying around and a, a bit I would laughing. have thought
0: impossible not to with the way Sean is. You know, when you see how he conducts himself in his interviews the other day when he was talking about looky-likes and how fun that is just to be out and spotting people that look like famous people. I was in stitches watching that and the reporters, some of them were really enjoying that and that, that's a great thing to have. That yeah, there's a mean,
1: it, it, it is and that's, that's Sean. He, he, you know, he could sit there and come out with cliche after cliche after cliche. And, well, what's the point? You, there's no need to have a press conference if he's just going to do cliches. You might as well just hash the, the same interview pre Arsenal last year, or you know, rewrite the same quotes as he's used every every other game. So, and that's what he's like, you know. He's 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 massive on he's massive on um, engagement. He's massive on respect. He he will he will say good morning to you know to whoever because it's it's basic manners and he he doesn't like people that. Think that the too good to speak to, you know the the under nines parent that will arrive at five o'clock as we're leaving. You know, how, how are you doing? Just it costs nothing, and he's he's massive on that. And you know, as I said yesterday, that's our dressing room is 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 unique. It is so tight knit. They socialise as a group with, with the the wives socialise, girlfriends socialise. The club looks after them. You know, if whenever a, a member of staff. Becomes a parent or has another child or whatever, the, the club is sending flowers, and that that doesn't matter if you if you Nick Pope or if you you know the the, the lad that empties the bins, you, you treated the, the same in that respect. You think fair play, and that and that comes from that comes from Sean and and, and the board. I mean, Sean absolutely different class as a you know you know he's, he's he wants high standards. Don't get me wrong, and if he'll let you know. If there's a if you if you're not accepting you not know, hitting the standards he expects, he'd let you know. But you know, first class, you know, and you know he 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 deserves to be at a top seats club. I'm not I would I'm not advocating that he leaves any time soon because uh, you know he's done such a fantastic job and, and continues to do a fantastic job. But you know, you think you know would Pep do the same job at Burnley that that Sean's done? but you're pretty sure that Sean could do a similar job to what Pep's done at Man City.
0: I would love to see that experiment. <laughs> yeah. I, they should have done I, that with the COVID season. They should have said, like, this is really for nothing, but we're just going to swap you all around because people need a laugh. <laughs> well,
1: I mean, he, 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 he was... I, I think he had his... Sean had his... Eye. He does not, not much surprises, Sean. Uh, and then we played in the Europa League. We had that um, bizarre situation where we'd finished seventh and qualified for Europe for the first time in fifty odd years, and we were drawn away, at, uh, away in the first in the first qualifying round, away at Aberdeen. And you think, you know, of, of all the of all the teams, you know, we've got middle of Ju- middle of July, and we've got England, Scotland, twenty two thousand sellout at Pittodrie, then wanting to kick ten bells out of us and prove a real point, and we're like. You know it, the complete. So that that summer was 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 bizarre. You know, we, UEFA had basically said to us because we've got two stands at Turf that have got wooden seats in, mm-hmm. and this time we'd have to close those because we can't have wooden seats. And it, we did an experiment that the plastic seats were a lot more flammable than the wooden seats, yeah, and and so we 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 got the agreement with if we did get beyond the qualifiers that we had to. Reseat half, you know, reseat one standard, and, and it became a became a nightmare. And um, <laughs> we, we 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 so we beat Aberdeen, and then it was every every Thursday in in from mid July to the end of August, we were playing Europa games, uh, and we we drew um, Istanbul Basaksehir, um, which is one of the lesser known um, Istanbul clubs, and uh, you know I'd never been to Istanbul. Um, beat Man United that season. Yeah, they did. And, and they're, they're having a stinker. I've, I've kept in touch with, um, you know, it's surprising when you when you play these teams, you, you, you keep in touch. Uh, Mustafa at um, Istanbul, we, we we swap texts on a regular basis. And, um, you know, it was like we'd gone out for the recce to, to get the team hotel um, arranged and, and look at the routes and go to the stadium and, and just generally check on things. And, i would never been to Istanbul, and it was like something off one of these films that you see. When you walk out, it was it's East meets West, obviously, because of, and it's like wow. And we arrived there at like eleven o'clock at night, and it was it was it was it was a scary place, you know, for a working class lad from them that on ever does two weeks in Tenerife type thing. It was like whoa, wow. Uh, so to, to go out there and, and the the added thing of us because we we we're not one of these teams that take security with us. And, and you know, we the, the lads that we played at Spurs on Saturday on Sunday, the lads have gone back to Houston to get the train back home. And because they're there 20 minutes early, they're, they're wandering around getting a, a magazine and something to eat and drink from W.H. Smith. And you're thinking, I, I, I can't see Marcus Rashford getting a bottle of coffee in, in, in W.H. Smith's and a magazine. But, you know, that's what Sean wants. He wants us to retain our, our earthiness. But we've, we've gone out to to Istanbul for the recce and so right, We need to create a, an area that all Burnley fans can go and have a drink. Right. Okay. So we've, we've gone to um, the various squares in Istanbul and sort of like you know, the, the, the tanks with water cannons. Oh, what's that? oh, well that was the uprising last year. Those are the water cannons. And you know, they're, they're still there. And we're like, scary this place. So we, we found an area and we've gone and seen some bar owners and got everything ready and left a load of Burnley shirts only to find out that that's the, the area of Istanbul that um, the team, the Sigtas, use. Okay. And their high-risk supporters are based there on a match night, and they were at home on the same night as Basak so it was a complete shift, and we went out to um, to, to uh, the, blue, the Blue Mosque and the Square there. Uh, and, and you know having to arrange transport for six, seven hundred Burnley fans to get from the centre of Istanbul out to the stadium, where the, the, the club aren't a popular club because the, the president's involvement and all the sort of political sort of connotations that are involved in that. Uh, so we went out there and um, it was Joe Hart's first game and Harty had had arrived at Manchester Airport to travel with the team. And we'd agreed that the, the ancillary staff, so the ticket office staff, the stewards, the media lads uh, wouldn't travel with the team because he's, you know, they wouldn't travel with the team normally. So we tried to keep it as normal as possible. And Hearty had turned up and uh, he'd left. He brought his out-of-date passport. Oh no! Oh no! So we managed to get Hearty onto our um, our flight, which was a scheduled Manchester to Istanbul flight, and put him in in, in business class. And and the job. job I'd worked with Joe at Blackpool. We'd signed Joe at Blackpool the year we'd got promoted from League One. So I, I sort of knew of him and, and so I looked after him and we took him. In. And, and so he's in, he's in first class. And word had got round that he was in first class. And there were quite a lot of Burnley fans on this scheduled flight from, from Istanbul. And Harty's got his seat back and is asleep. And there's, there's throughout the, the four-hour flight, there was just a procession of Burnley fans walking sort of like up, up the flight, Oh, Joe Hart's asleep and taking pictures of Joe Hart asleep, and then we have sort of had to say to the cabin crew, "Can you just give him a bit?" Of, well, you know the toilets, in, but the toilets in first class and not the toilets in. So we got. Joe was brilliant about it. He was sort of laughing, and when he sort of, you know, he'd see one eye open, and Joe sort of like, "Do you want a photo?" And he'd sit up but
0: well, when he's done all um, those commercials, Matt, you know he's he's going to get even more attention.
1: <laughs> it's a fair one. It's a fair one. I mean, he, he so he made his debut out there, and um, then we we played him at home, and we we had a, had all sorts of issues because we wanted to um, beam the game back. From 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 Istanbul, uh, and, and they they wanted to charge 100,000 euros to do it, and we we said we're not paying that. It'll be reciprocal. You you let us have access to your streams, we'll let you have access to ours. They said no, and then we refused them access to the stream when we came back, and it became uh, a, almost like a, a an incident, but it was it was it was tense, uh, and then so they didn't want to, they wouldn't, because um, you have your responsibility. For your own fans when you go away in Europe. And, and we stewarded it really, really well. And, and, and we had we had no issues at all um, in 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 Istanbul. We had some issues in, in, in Greece. And um, we we managed it really really well, but they refused to, to, to manage any, any fans that were coming. And, and we were saying, Well, well, we don't we don't have any fans that travel away because of the political but Intelligence then showed that there was going to be Galatasaray supporters and Besiktas supporters turn up to support Burnley because of the hatred for here. So that, oh no, this is going to be, we ended up banning uh, any uh, anybody who hadn't purchased a, a ticket from Burnley before and still had 20, 30 Turkish supporters turn up to watch the game. And you know, fortunately, there was no trouble. And, and we, we accommodated him, but you think, well, this is a, this is a, a real sort of learning curve. And then we win the game, and then the following Thursday, we're in Athens, and, you know, you're, you're trying to get directors and staff and, and stewards and people out to, to Athens, and there's no de- there was one direct flight from Manchester that left at silly o'clock that was sold out. So we're having to, I'm having to co-op. I became a travel agent, you know, sort of full-time whistle, I was going to Crap. say, imagine we were doing this with, with Burnley, not Blackpool, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, to be fair, we wouldn't have had the staff. We, it would have been me, I'd have been doing tickets, I'd have been doing media, I'd have been doing anyway. But uh, you know, you sort of like having to coordinate people to get there on, on real limited time. And, and unfortunately, Works worked really, really well, but we had people going via Munich, some going via Frankfurt, some going via Paris one or two going by Copenhagen, and then having to bring it all together at the other end in Athens to, to get everybody from the airport to the hotel. And the, the, the team the team worked really, really well. The only, the only issue we had in um, in Athens from a, a, a playing point of view is that um, we, we couldn't train at the, pit, at the stadium because the pitch at the Olympiarcos was was horrendous. So they'd arranged for us to train um, at another club in, in Athens on their pitch. And so we've got it all sorted. Police escort this that and the other. We'll we'll train first. We'll on the way back we'll go to the the stadium. Uh, and Sean decided to change his mind at the eleventh hour. <laughs> and we've rocked up at this stadium and it had a running track around it. And there are like local runners running around this running track. And he's going he's going nuts. We have we, got so we haven't got used to the stadium for another half an hour. And the pitch was the pitch was horrendous. And and the gaffer shouting at me. The, the facilities aren't great, and we need to get people out. And this is not right, that's not right. And so, you know, because everyone speaks English out there, they understood what he was saying, and they were a bit not miffed, but they were sort of like, oh, cheers, you know, thanks. And then at the end of the session, he we went, right, ask him if we could come and train on it in the morning. I was like, for oh, fuck's sake. You know, So we, we've, we've gone and, and trained there, but we had um, the, the, uh, so the Burnley fans are all congregated in a square on, on match day, and we put um, coaches on from the the, the old the old state the old falling down the, what's it the Olympic Stadium that what's it called the old the old stadium that you'd go and see the amphitheater mm-hmm. thing. Um, we'd 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 put buses on from there to take them to the stadium, and our our um, security staff and facilities guy who. Brilliant, dug our, our facilities guy. He's he's fantastic. I've got a tale for him. but Before I go, I'll give you the most recent amusing tale involving him. He's brilliant, and he he, he sorted them all out. But there was must have been about twenty Burnley fans that you know we told them you don't go on the don't go on the underground. Go in the transport we provide, providing that's the safe, most secure way of doing it. Uh, a couple went on the underground, and one got stabbed. You know, and you, think, you know we, that's why we told you not to do that because. You know, drunken English fans. You're seen as a bit of a, a target, and there was there was about eighteen or twenty that refused to go when the police said, "Right, come on, finish your drink, go, get on that bus," and they refused to. And like we were saying, lads, if you don't go, you're going to get arrested. No, no, you know. And and, Doug and his team went, no, no. Yeah, we're, we're saying, come on, you've got to get on the bus. Doug and his team you've got to get on the bus, you've got to get on the bus, and they refused to. And. Um, the police said, "Right lads, we you can come with us and come on our bus." And they're like, "Oh, you know, up yours." We, we, we've got a bus, and they're walking down the street with a beard, getting on this bus, and they were all arrested. And, and then it becomes our fault because we've in there. So we ended up getting the the, um, the the ambassador and everything else involved. It was a it was a real learning curve being being out there for me. Uh, and we, we 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 got beat three one. Uh, and again, the, that's the most hostile environment I've I've been to in football. Uh, and then we, we played him at home and we absolutely battered him at home. And I was so desperate, not because I wanted to get to the group stages, but because of what had gone in, in in Athens with their owner going into the referee's room at half time, because it was 1-1 at half time. And then the referee had had an absolute stinker second half and gave everything to Olympiacos And, I'm not saying he's bribed him or anything like that, but the, his performance changed. You know, he's a big fella, the 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 uh, the Olympiakos owner, um, you know, and he, he was raging at us. I'm sitting in the tunnel raging, and the, the referees' room was adjacent to the home dressing room through a set of double doors, so that everyone had gone through the double doors were shut, and we you can't see what's going on behind there, and you know, it's not not great. Yeah. Um, yeah. And who the 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 group stage. His draw was in um, Monaco at lunchtime on the Friday. So whoever won our game had to, to basically get to Monaco. And the only way you could have done it was to get a car to pick you up from Burnley, drive you down to Stansted and get the first flight to Nice and then get a car from Nice to... And, and and I and I was sort off. Listen, if that is the case, then we'll we'll do it. But I'm not booking anything. And and the the uh, Costas, he was called the, the my counterpart from Olympiacos, he'd booked it. And at and at halftime, it was I think it was still 0-0 at halftime. And we'd absolutely battered him. And he was due to get in his car at halftime and and, and travel down to Stansted. And, and he didn't. He waited until full time, and I saw so wanted to just say to his driver, "So, well, he's not coming. I'll jump in that." But and, but we, we've kept in touch. We, we've kept in touch with the people. Um, Christy and Karen moves there, director of football, the ex Middlesbrough player. Um, great company. Um, we'd had he'd been to a couple of our games to to scout us. Um, and you have this formal lunch or dinner. Um. The, the the night the night either the night before or on the day <clears throat> excuse me when we, when we played at Aberdeen brilliant it was absolutely brilliant we've gone up there and they the night before and we've had a meal and, a, and a, a, a drink and and chatted like football fans do they've come to us the night before and we we had a we going to call it a classy barbecue um but there was there was and that was well attended by our board at the time and, and the Aberdeen board and the, the the two clubs, you know, I speak still speak to my counterpart at Aberdeen on a regular basis, and we've got a real, real bond between the two clubs now. Uh, Istanbul was was slightly different, um, you know, it was a, a kebab fest. I've never seen as much lamb in different cuts of lamb over a course of a lunchtime, and and at the time that the um, during that lunch, it had broke that we were going to re, we'd refuse to allow the beam back because for for the game at Burnley, so they animosity over lunch was 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 one the, the the lunch we had at Olympiacos again was was fantastic. You know they, they, they it was real sort of you're almost like royalty for, for that afternoon and um speeches. You know I was I was sort of given our I was the one who, who had to speak on behalf of Burnley and uh, sort of not embarrass myself by lack of understanding. You know, I managed to get my dates mixed up when about Aberdeen winning the Cup Winners' Cup in the early eighties I got the, I got the year wrong, which was sort of embarrassing, but um, we look oh, back on that. Yeah, it does. It does, especially when you put on the spot. It, it, you exactly. know, on, you, yeah. you stand up and, and thank them for their hospitality and uh, assistance. You know, I like, you know, normally I've got a lot to say, as you, as you can tell. Um, but going, going back to Doug, Doug, brilliant tale. This one, uh, Doug's Doug's top top guy He's our facilities operations man. Um, Really, really red hot, and he—he it, it, and I during COVID have, have have worked very, very close together, and um, we 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 went down to the to to, to Spurs last weekend. Went on the, we we've been driving everywhere, and we both sort of said, listen, nobody on the train, you got to wear it, your face mask. So let's let's just go on the train, get down there late Saturday evening for match of the day, have a have a sandwich and a, and, a, and, a, and a drink in the room watch match of the day, jump on the coach because we, we have to go, we, we travel with three team coaches now to away games. So we'll jump on the team coach when the the lads, the couple of medical lads going in advance to set up and the kit man and, and what have you. And then we don't have to, and then we'll get the train back Sunday night. You know, been, yeah, great. So we've, we've got the train. There's nobody on the on the train. We didn't see anybody from getting on. I didn't even see him, to be fair. Um, I was listening to him um, uh, the Andy Woodman podcast and under the under the couch, brilliant. Um, so I'm chuckling away listening to that. Got to the got to the the hotel right. See in the morning half nine on the bus. Yeah, great. So the the hotel, uh, which is the Courthouse Hotel in Shoreditch, which is literally as it says, the old court. Brilliant place, fascinating place. It's got the the cells where the craze, the craze were kept. Um, oh yeah. <laughs> part, 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 part of part of this. USP is that, but it's a sort of stunning hotel, stunning hotel in Shoreditch. So we got there, and and Chris, the the, the guy that we deal with, had, had left um, almost like a packed lunch. He'd left a sandwich, a bit of some crisps, bottle of orange juice, a couple of Peronis, and, and you know it was it was gone ten, and I, I'll I'll take those home. I'll have those at home. I'd, I'd, I'd add my sandwich and a and a bottle of water. I fell asleep watching match of the day, and it was one of those rooms where if the aircon's on it's too cold. If the air comes off, it's too warm. You, too many pillars and cushions, you know. So I've come down in the morning. And I'll, I said to Doug, "I said, uh, did, you, did you sleep okay?" And he was like, "No, not really." I said, "No, you know, you, you don't normally do you, if you're in a strange hotel, blah blah." He went, I, I woke up hallucinating at three o'clock. <laughs> he said, "I woke up hallucinating." Now there's three three ways of communication at Burnley Football Club: telephone, telegram, and telmat. <laughs> so he's, he's he's told me this tale and he says and i woke up hallucinating he said i thought there was a child walk at the bottom of my bed and out of the, out of the, the door i've got I've got, I've got safeguarding on this it's you know i can't have a and he went and oh no, he said Phew. so I'm, I'm i'm hammering him about this sort of hallucination he said i think it was the cheese sandwich i had in the room he said did you have cheese <laughs> I didn't I wasn't hallucinating. I said, I, I woke up a couple of times. I said, but I'm, I'm used to waking up early and with the kids and uh, and, and what have you. So I'm, I'm, I'm t- taken the mic. I've gone into the office on Tuesday at the stadium and, I, and I'm saying, what about Doug? Hallucinating at the hotel. I said, he only had one bottle of Peroni. He said, he's, he's seen double. And stupidly, he volunteered this next bit. He said, well, I was telling my wife about it. He said, then uh, she's got on Google and I wasn't hallucinating. I saw a ghost. There you go. And I'm like, no. <laughs> so he said, I can't ever stop in that hotel again. So I'm like, you know, hammering about that. So I'm telling everyone. So as as the team are coming out um, on... When uh, we play Wednesday, you've got the lads, the players going... Woo! to him as they were hocking out before they're playing a Premier League <laughs> game, and, and, and the gaffer's going, "Are you okay? Are you okay?" To him, he went, "Yeah." He went, "Sure, you've not seen any goals." And he's like, "And he's like looking at me, and I'm thinking, well, you know, this is what we what we we've got here. You know, we we everybody shares everything else, and there's there's nobody that's that's um, you know the only well you don't hammer the manager. That's the only that's the that's the only rule that we have. He that's hammers everybody. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, it is, and you know, it's it's. A, a, People should should learn that. But, you know, you don't hammer, you know, we all hammer each other. We, we, we all respect each other and the job that they do. Um, you know, we, we, we've got a real tight, tight-knit group of people and particularly over COVID, it's it's brought people closer together and and working a lot closer and, and, and people probably got a lot more respect for the job that everybody else is doing because you see it firsthand. Um, you know, I, I can't wait for fans to get back in, to be fair, but, um, you know, it's it's been a, a massive learning curve um, the, the the last ten or twelve months as, as it's been now since it, since they started. Um But you know, you, you look back and some of the some of the things we've done, and you know, the, we've we've following satnav out of, out of stadiums and getting lost and ended up in the centre of London, and you know, coming back from Crystal Palace on a on a, a middle of middle of July uh, on a, after a, a, a night kick off, and you sort of like driving through central London wondering where you are and then we've, we've gone in convoy in the past and I've sort of ran the lad who I think is uh, at the front of the convoy saying where's Doug gone and he said well he's behind me and I'm like no I'm behind you and went, no you're not and he's like well where are you I'm on the north circular he's like well we're on the M1 type thing you know so we've had we've had we've had some we've had some laughs and and I think that's that's the the big thing of football is, is you've got to you've got to put a smile on, on people's faces, you know. You, you don't Definitely. get too carried away when yeah. I mean. you don't get too carried away when you lose. Um, you know, you've got to carry on, you know, smiling and, and you know, one of the things that, you know, I try and do is put a smile on people's faces in the office, be it here at the training ground or at the stadium, because, you know, life's a serious thing and you know, I think we all would we, we all would love to win the Euro millions and not have to work for a living, but you know, at the end of the day, we're we we all in it together. You know, the, the, the same goal is to get three points, stay in the Premier League in 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 Burnley's case, and if we can pay that, you know, play our little part to do that, then then we do. And for, for me, you know, that 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 I've been involved in, in this for for twenty years, and I've seen so many things change, and the things that we were doing with Steve McMahon back in you know two thousand and two are. are, are Distant memory, it's it's you know, people say, Oh, it's the same as it was. Well, no, it isn't, you know, it isn't. It's a lot more professional at all levels. You know, the, the standards are a lot higher, expectations are a lot higher, players are a lot fitter. You know, the, the pitches, even now, you know, 20 years on, are, are, are much better. You know, so it, 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 it's changed. And, and I, we, we say here that if, if we don't keep moving forward and we stay standstill, then we'll dropping behind everyone else and, and you know we've got to keep doing what we do so um, there you go that's um, it's a, a brilliant a potted history it's a brilliant story that you have career and I mean there's so many other stories that you know you, 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 we can talk about and, and you know look back on and you know you, you forget you forget and, and it takes someone who was involved at the time to remind you of it or to, to, to you know you go off on tangents all the time because there's so many so many stories and you know involving some, some great characters. I would say that the further up the, the pyramid you go, the players get more intelligent, um, you know, <laughs> and they're more responsible. But um, I was listening to, to Tippy with some of the tales that he has um, for, um, for for what he has to deal with, you know. It's, it's a country mile away from, from some of the, the problems that we have to deal with. And, you know, it, it, it is when I spoke, spoke to him this morning about, um, you know, Decisions on contracts and and you know he's he's, um, he's he's going through that now setting budgets for next year and you know so yeah, I think big,
0: <laughs> big big decisions it's such a, a fascinating industry isn't it football because there's so many different facets to it it's massive and it's challenging but you say you like to put a smile on people's faces you've definitely done that with your stories i've really really enjoyed hearing from you matt and if we've taken away anything from this it's if you're standing at a hotel you're not familiar with lay off the cheese sandwiches folks thank you for listening to the michael clark show podcast you can follow me at M. Clark Show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Check back every Wednesday for a brand new episode, which you can download as a podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. You can also watch the entire interview via my YouTube channel that is youtube.com forward slash The Michael Clark Show. And if you like our theme song, it has been kindly provided by the brilliant SX-70. Search for SX-70 on Spotify to stream their music. Until next Wednesday, take care, I'll speak to you soon.